Hey, Dwight, it's me, Scott, doing uh, an impression of Albert Brooks. Want to do some theme songs and guess them? Ah, uh, sure. Okay. Um, ah, uh, Simpsons, that's uh, an easy Okay, one. okay, no, you do one, you do one. Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, hmm. <laughs> ah, the Flintstones, right? The Flintstones, yeah. Okay, um, here's one, here's one, here's one. Uh, do 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 Ah, that's the Twilight Zone. Yeah, do you like the Twilight Zone, Scott? I love the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone's great. You know what I like about the Twilight Zone? It's really scary. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had some really good ones, like the pig nose one and that old guy walking back to his home village. And Do you want to see something scary, Scott? Sure. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me, I just got to prepare for this. I'm turning around because this is an audio podcast. Nemo! Nemo! <laughs> okay, we saw the Twilight Zone movie to end up Twilight Zone month, so that means it's in the basket. The writer's bagel basket. Tear me apart, Lisa! Fourteen! Great birthdays without him! He never even sent me a damn card! Down with him! Because I'm Homer Simpson! Pizza, pizza, pizza! <laughs> Hi, welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Carlin. I'm Dwight Stearns. And Dwight, what did we watch this week? Uh, this week, Scott, we watched an existential drama called Twilight Zone The Movie. <laughs> Um, so Twilight Zone the movie is actually, it's kind of an anomaly, I would say, in, not, not even an anomaly, it's just an interesting piece of filmmaking, period. Because it's paying homage to the original Twilight Zone, um, so what they ended up doing was they had four directors come in, each one directed an individual portion um, of this uh, anthology movie. So Twilight Zone was an anthology series, they made an anthology movie. And it was... Uh, fun? Yeah, it was fun. Um, some things worked, some things didn't work. Why don't we just dive into that? This was also a time when they weren't doing like TV shows into movies. Like They didn't really transition that till the 90s, really. Mm-hmm. So this, this, I would say, was like the first. You're probably correct. Um, I, I don't know the history that well. I know that they were doing like the Star Trek movies around this time, but that's not... A TV show being adapted into a movie—that's a continuation of right. a TV series. And that, so that's that was a only different. to compete with Star Wars. Like. Yeah, exactly, because Star Wars was huge at the time. So, uh, the directors of this were John Landis, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg, yep. Joe Dante, yep. and my favorite George Miller. Yes, and in that order. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's just such a weird. I mean, you took basically you took three men wear glasses and have beards <laughs> well the majority of the directors i remember being in college and i took a directing class and gunther one of the first things he said was in order to be a director you have to have a beard so so i grow a beard yeah i remember he he was like you have to grow a beard and then i tried growing one he's like maybe you should be a producer <laughs> <laughs> or a screenwriter i was like oh, okay fair uh, enough so the prologue opens up with Albert Brooks, who, I, in my opinion, if you want to make anything better, get Albert Brooks. Well, I, it also opens up with Dan Aykroyd. And in my opinion, if you want to make anything better, get Dan Aykroyd. So I like, like all, Dan Aykroyd. Like all lot. those Adam Sandler movies? 
Yeah, obviously. Dan Aykroyd made them better. <laughs> Duh. Uh, no, no, I agree with you because Dan Aykroyd, he was on a hot streak at this point. This was like right after Blues Brothers, right before uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yep. So he was, his star was like pretty much set. Mm-hmm. And Albert Brooks just did uh, Lost in America. So these, they, they probably pitched to the studio because this this movie didn't really have many famous actors in it. Like it had famous actors who were famous later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like to get Warner Brothers to sign off on it, they're like, we have Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks, and they're like, sold. They're gonna be the got the Rod Serling types. And then like they destroyed that. <laughs> <laughs> so so we open with um, these two uh, people driving down this the road, and this you said as we were watching this, people must have thought they walked into the wrong movie theater because there's no Twilight Zone opening. It's just a car driving down the road listening to Creedence Clearwater Revival on um, cassette tape, and they're just singing along to it. Yeah, and, and it, it's Midnight Special, which is like a love song, so it's like... Hey, and, you guys. Yeah, and it, it, if I were like in the theater in 1983, I would have probably thought I walked into like E.T., because this was the time of E.T., so mm-hmm. I'd be like, I think I'm in the wrong theater. Something along those lines, yeah. So they're they're listening to their tape. The tape uh, gets eaten, which is a relic of the past that modern kids would not understand that that heartbreak. But um, and so, Albert Brooks is really upset. He gets it. pissed because he's like, "Ah, oh, now we're not gonna have anything. No entertainment. No no radio stations. No tape." And Dan Eckert's like, well, we, "We can talk to each other like human beings." He's like, "We already talked. Well, I don't want to talk to you." Okay, so this is gonna blow your mind because this is the first movie where Albert Brooks died because of an electronic device in the car. In Defending Your Life, he dies because he's playing with his new CD player. Okay. And he keeps dejecting the CD, and he looks down, and he gets hit by a bus. The tape player in this dies. And then, that, and then that, he, that's the end of his life right yeah. there. Or that, that leads to the end of his life. Oh, spooky. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if he got that There's idea. a pattern, I'm sure. Yeah. So he, the after the, the tape player dies, uh, was it Dan Aykroyd who suggests, hey, let's play no, it's theme Albert song. Brooks. Let's play guess the theme song. Yeah, he's like, hey, have you ever played this game where you uh, guess theme songs? If you get three wrong, you lose or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and uh, what's the first one he does? Uh, I, I, oh, I don't remember. I didn't know very many of these. Um I know one of them was Perry oh, Mason. He did Sea Hunt. I think that was the Sea Hunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but the one that always gets me that I love doing is uh, him doing the ba da 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 And like Dan Aykroyd doesn't know he's doing National Geographic. He's like, there's a tiger and there's a fossil over there. It was funny. And then they do Twilight Zone. Dan Aykroyd does the Twilight Zone. No, they don't. And that's what I didn't like. They they stop playing it and then. One of them just goes, "Hey, do you remember that? Do you remember the oh, show, The Twilight Zone? Right. Like, I can't believe the, that I was watching this again. And I was like, oh, okay, so they're just gonna do the Twilight Zone episode, and like, they're gonna do the Twilight Zone theme song, and that's going to lead into them talking about the Twilight Zone, and they just didn't. Yeah. It was so like, yeah, I just don't know why. Like, that was like easily like that was like T-ball level of." easy setup and then they start talking about they basically do what we've done for the last month they start talking <laughs> about twilight zone episodes, episodes they like they talked about um time enough yeah um they and talked about 
I like that they got into an argument about whether or not an episode was an Outer Limits episode or a Twilight Zone episode, which I just think is really not inside baseball, but just um, a good commentary on the fact that there was another TV series similar to that going on at the same time yep. on ABC. Um, Talking about the mannequin one. The mannequin one, yeah, but what was that? Was that an Outer Limits episode? The mannequin one is a Twilight Zone episode. But the I know the that. watch that he was talking about. I don't remember actually. Um, and then I, I feel like Dan Aykroyd, so Dan Aykroyd ends up killing Albert Brooks because Albert Brooks beforehand is like trying to mess with him. He's like, want to oh, see something I forgot scary. about that part. Yeah. He's like, want to see something scary? And he, they're driving probably at like two in the morning, mm-hmm. midnight. He turns the lights off the car. Yep. So he's driving in pitch black. He could die. And yep. they're on like a curvy road. They're like on route 66, <laughs> like. And I, I feel like that's why Dan Aykroyd ends up killing him. He's like, you risked my life. You gotta die. Dun, dun, dun. See, I'm really curious as to what these two characters' relationships are. I, like, was Dan Aykroyd a hitchhiker that he picked up? Or are they friends? Because the way they talk to each other, it feels like they've been friends for a long time. <laughs> it felt like, I, I pointed out to you, I think they're lovers. <laughs> I, that's possible, too. I mean, two lonely men, back roads, lights are <laughs> off. Hey, it's someone's there gonna on the drive prairie. stick shift. <laughs> exactly, but um, so you're right. So that that scared Dan Aykroyd, and then so Dan Aykroyd says, "Do you want to see something scary?" Has him pull over the car because Dan Aykroyd does not want to risk his own life here. Yeah, I pointed that out. To yes, you, you I did. Was, I was like, "Pull over the car. I don't want to die." <laughs> so yeah, Dan Aykroyd does the. You want something scary? He like turns around. And then he like turns back, and he's been transformed into like this old blue man, this at, old blue Dan Aykroyd, yeah, with like blue fangs Akron. and stuff like that. He kind of looked like the Ice King from Adventure Time. I can see that. I've yeah. seen pictures of Ice King, yeah. so yeah. So that kind of goes into something. When I first watched this movie when I was younger, it scared the bejesus yeah, out of me. That scared me too. I don't know if it's just an. I'm older now thing, or I have more of a respect for Twilight Zone now thing, or because this movie was made in 83, 84, and the effects are bad type of thing. But I was not scared by anything in this movie. Well, Concepts were scary, but the movie itself was not. Now, that didn't scare me, because I was thinking about, like, John Landis is such a great director who uses great makeup and great visuals, because the makeup in American Werewolf in London, which was Rick Baker... Mm -hmm is still to this day it holds up yes. it's still terrifying that that is the best tra- uh, werewolf transformation on film period. ever yeah and this oh you didn't like the wolfman when belnice was like you're locked in here with me i don't think i've seen is that the newest one yeah. you're talking about yeah i haven't seen that movie no it's so it's so no. stupid because it, it's like the cheesiest it, you can tell that it's cgi <laughs> and it's really bad gross yeah um but I think my problem, knowing that this is fake now, is because Rick Baker didn't do the makeup, and it just looked like it looked like they painted his face blue and put fangs on. Yeah, it was not impressive at all. Yeah. Which, at that point, I'm like, where this movie must have had no budget, or all the budget went to the last segment? Because, right? No, I don't. I don't know. It just must have been. I th- I think what happened is they shot it all in the segments and they just needed something to tie it together 
Well, you're talking about the opening? Yeah. But see, it doesn't. how does that even tie it together? Like, the only tying together is that character shows up again at the end. Everything else is... No, there's no, like, through line, no thread. There's no, like... Um, I, one of my favorite anthology movies of all time is a movie called Creepshow. Oh, I love Creepshow. Creepshow's great. Creepshow's um, wonderful. And, and it starts off with a, an opening segment and a closing segment. And the opening segment is a, uh, a boy who has his comic book thrown away. And all the stories in the, the movie are comic book um, chapters, more mm-hmm. or less. And so in between each story, you get like a little animation of the comic flipping to the next story. This is nothing like that. All you get is just a, a cross dissolve into the next story. And then um, Burgess Meredith giving a... Um, uh, voiceover. You probably thought that I was dead, but I'm not. Ooh, I can oh, see. Creepshow. That was a comic first, wasn't it? Like, uh, Creepshow look- itself is not a comic. It was it inspired by um, e, uh, EC Comics? Hammer? No. Uh, there's the name of a specific comic company that made um, serialized style comics in like the 50s and 60s. And there's like eerie... Um, not Tales from the Crypt, but there was other... Tales to Astonish? Tales to maybe. There was like old horror comics that it was inspired by. I believe Creepshow then became a it comic. Is because I was at the comic book store and I saw it. Yeah, I, I don't think it was inspired by... I might be wrong. Anyways, we're talking about Twilight Zone. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. But that, that that goes to the point that they should have like tied it together the way Creepshow did. I would have liked more connective tissue between the um, segments. Yeah, so... This first, the first segment, we're probably gonna breeze through because you and I both hate it. It's not that good. This is the most controversial one. This was the famous bigot one, and it's not controversial because it's about bigots. It's controversial because Vic Morrow died making a scene that wasn't even in the movie. Vic Vic Morrow and two, um, I want to say they were Vietnamese children because I believe it was. I don't know if it was shooting in Vietnam or. Two children died during the making of that of this uh, segment, and I was just reading about it. The children who died were hired illegally, and that's another reason as to why it was like a big deal because they were being paid under the table, and they because they weren't allowed to be part of that segment, and then they were. So that good job uh, hiring, on you, John John Landis. Hiring illegal children again. The only other time that happened since then was Slumdog Millionaire because those two kids. Oh, like the the younger kids in those were yeah, they were illegals. They had to go back to the slums after they made no money from the movie. Fun, <laughs> yeah. So welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket, <laughs> and full uh, of smiles. Yeah. So Vic Morrow, his character is a bigot. He didn't get a promotion because mm-hmm. some expletive. No, I believe I don't think saying Jew is a bad word. It was a Jewish person that got oh, the promotion okay. over him. Um, but then he starts complaining about expletives living in his neighborhood. Yep. Um, black people. Uh, but the bad word the, he al- for he black people. Hard that- R, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, hard R. <laughs> yeah. And, it's the 80s. Yeah. And not just that, he also says the offensive term for, you know, Spanish. Yes. Uh, Americans. Yep. And, and um he, he calls I believe Chinese people yellow people or like the the derogatory term yeah, for that. Yeah. And then he hates I, all people equally. And his friends were like, "Geez, wow, buddy, <laughs> calm down. Take it down a few pegs." And he gets talked to by I'm pretty sure it's the guy from Airplane, the one of the soul brothers mm-hmm. from Airplane, like the hey, cool bro, <laughs> that that guy. Yep. Um 
And he's like, well, if you don't like it, just deal with it. Like That's basically... Yeah, more or less, he was, he's... Vic Morrow gets like back in this guy's face. Being like, the guy's like, "Do you have a problem?" He's like, "Yeah, I have a problem." And I don't know. It it's weird how I would have expected that to have kind of come to blows, but I guess his friends really diffused the situation because they were like, "Oh, he's just having a bad day." Oh. Yeah, let him blow off some steam. Yep. And oh, before that, before that, you're gonna talk about the waitresses. Yeah, the waitresses, because one of those girls looked like she was like 16 years old. He tries to start groping the waitresses. One of them, he pulls onto his lap and is like, hey, spend some time with me. And it's like, this is the wrong type of place if you're looking to get women to do that, buddy. Yeah, this isn't Hooters. Yes. But it was it was very alarming. Like It, it was. was. It, it's hard to watch a movie like this and see something like that, which you assume is a sign of the times, which was more or less... Not accepted, because, I mean, he's still coming off as a scumbag, but so it's hard to tell whether or not this is, like, an acceptable thing that happened back then. That doesn't excuse it, and it doesn't make it right, Um, because, like, his friends just laugh it off, and the ladies are just like, don't touch me, and then they leave, but there's no, like, it's almost, like, expected. Like, this is what this guy does, and that's, you know inexcusable in today's society like like the waitresses are like flintstone appliances well it's a living (laughs) exactly that's exactly how it seemed like he was expecting them to react yeah and one of them is like i don't have time for this today like i have i have six tables (laughs) and like we're all out of prime ribs so they're gonna be really upset and he's like no what i know when i'm not wanted and he just leaves like yep he pulls like the Dick Nixon, like the ah, uh, you won't have me to kick around anymore, and he just leaves. And where does he end up? Well, he walks out of the bar and um, he closes the door, turns around, and he is in Nazi Germany. Yeah, this had to be like thirty-nine or forty. <laughs> like, yeah, this definitely. was like at the height of the Third Reich. Yep. And one of the guys looked exact. One of the uh, Gestapo. Yeah, because two two people from the Gestapo show up. One of them, I'm pretty sure, was Richard Jenkins, because <laughs> because it looked like Richard Jenkins. I was like, is that character actor Richard Jenkins? It, it, it's possible. Apparently, my phone decided to Die. slow down. <laughs> well, it's just going really slow. But and they're they're taunting him because apparently now. He's still in his normal clothes, but he's supposed to be a Jew now. Yeah, I think that this is one of this segment's, in my opinion's faults. Is I get that they were trying to make it like, oh, what's going on, and we don't know what's happening. But so he ends up skip like skipping time to go to Germany, and it's implied that he is no longer himself. He is someone else, and that is how the Nazi Party is viewing him. So he's. And this happens a couple other times, mm-hmm. and it's not 100% clear that that is what's going on right away. I feel like the second time was the most effective, and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But So it was a little bit off. Like, and, and this is like, I get it, it's the Twilight, Twilight Zone, quote-unquote, so like you need that like, what's going on level of, mm-hmm. of stuff, but See, I, it didn't land for me. Well, it didn't land for me because watching it this time, he pulls out... They pull out his wallet, and there's credit cards, and they're seeing all this. Yeah, so that's a his good point. his clothes haven't changed in their eyes. So mm-hmm. it's not like he's wearing like like a burlap suit or stuff like that. He's still wearing his nice like '80s style like 
Hugo yeah, that's, Boss suit. No, you're right. That's really inconsistent. Because they're probably seeing him as him, but then in the later ones, they clearly are not. Right. Yeah, but, I didn't like that. See, and that's where you pointed out, because I found that this, I, I didn't remember, all of, the mo- all of the segments in this were remakes of different Twilight Zone episodes, except for this. You said this was an original. This is original. This one was written and directed by John Landis. Like, it was all originally him. And I personally think that's a misstep. Right. I mean, I we'll get to it, but I feel like the, the best written one is probably the one Joe Dante did because they uh, they will get to. That. I'm going to agree with you on that right away, but yes. But but this one, he's like, well, I've seen a few episodes of the Twilight Zone. I bet they would do it like this. Okay, F- from a concept of a Twilight Zone, I think it works. Um. Because Rod Serling was very much on social commentary type mm-hmm. stuff, like don't sleep on the poor, don't like um, forget, don't discount your your fellow man, and so it's very much in spirit of what a Twilight Zone would be, the concept of um, being pulled through times and basically body hopping to be taught a lesson um, works. Yeah, but it's just follow the Serling principle. It, it, yeah, but I I don't get. With three other ones that were tw- based on Twilight Zone episodes, I don't know why they wouldn't just do all of them based on Twilight Zone episodes. I think I feel like that in and of itself is a misstep. It was good in spirit and good in theory, but in execution it just was nowhere near as strong as the other three. And you pitched something that would have been even better if mm-hmm. he was one of the Gestapo officers, if he was one of the KKK members, yep. if he was one of the guys burning the village. In the Viet Cong. That, yeah. Like, that would have been better because he would have realized that he is like these guys who go into different territories mm-hmm. and destroy lives. Yeah. Oh, also, when he ends up with the KKK, who is one of the who is one of the Grand Wizards? Oh, um, oh, I don't remember who it was. It, it was, was John Larroquette. John Larroquette, yes. Like, and this was at the height of Night Court. So, that, that right there is just really bizarre. It's... Super wise. Because not just that, he doesn't look like, you know, a southern gentleman. I'm trying I'm trying to say it without being offensive to mm-hmm. an entire community. Yes. But he doesn't he, look he like He doesn't change race, like which is uh, No, I'm talking about John Larroquette. Oh, John, John Larroquette oh, okay, okay, looks okay, okay, like okay. a New Yorker. He I doesn't... thought we were talking about Vic Morrow. So. Oh, okay. Well yeah, him too. Um I told you that when Vic Morrow died making this, his mm-hmm. daughter is Jennifer Jason Lee. Yes. And she was filming I, I checked on my phone to confirm this. She was filming Fast Times at Ridgemont High, mm-hmm. and she just did the baseball dugout scene, the first one. And then the also the other scene that she did was the scene where her character finds out that she's pregnant. Spoilers if you haven't seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. So to have to do that emotional scene and then get a phone call that your dad just got destroyed by a helicopter. Yeah, that's a little bit messed up. Yeah. <laughs> So take a break. Take 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 five. Because <laughs> I I guess uh, Amy Heckerling is like, do you, you want to take the month off? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah, she did. Because I mean, that's, that's why Fast Times got this movie is what delayed Fast Times at Ridgemont High, mm. which I actually think worked in its favor. Why do you think that? Because it was supposed to come out in like winter time or like like mm-hmm. like almost springtime, and they pushed it to summer, and it was a bigger summer block. Well, that seems like a summer movie. Yeah, and that's why. So thanks, Twilight Zone. 
So thanks, John Landis. So he's running for his life from the Gestapo, and he's on top of a building, like yeah, on... he, yeah, because he like runs through this building. He tries to like take shelter with a, a, Polish, family. a, a Polish family, and they are like, uh, no. So they call the Gestapo up, and like they have him, they corner him on the outside of the building. Yeah, they didn't sugarcoat it because they they actually say. And people keep in mind, I'm Jewish, so I can say this. <laughs> they say, Juden, Juden, and they're pointing. So I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's yeah. the 80s. <laughs> womp womp. So, like, he's standing up on top of the on the top of this building, and those two um, soldiers from before just start taking pot shots at him with their pistols. And they're like, yeah, we'll kill him eventually. <laughs> and, but the way they're doing it... <laughs> I was hoping for one guy to be like, look, my eyes are closed. <laughs> ja. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, you hold the gun and I'll pull the trigger. Because <laughs> like, they're, they're doing it like they're, they're, they're like... playing a game. Yeah, it's... but it feels like they're like characters in the sitcom. It felt like these were guys from Hogan's Heroes. Doing... Which, by the way, I still can't believe that was actually a thing. Like literally taking place in a, a, a sitcom, taking place They're in a, a concentration camp. Of, a prisoner of war camp. Yeah, just what? But anyways... <laughs> I I want to. How would they discuss that? How would they pitch that show? Like, I have a great idea for a show. It takes place during World War Two. Love it. Okay, is it's a drama? No, it's a comedy. No comedy. <laughs> what? But but hold on, hold on. Just stand with me. Our favorite character is a Nazi general, and our hero is in a prisoner of war camp. What? Greenlit. Go. <laughs> yeah. So this felt like a Hogan's Heroes like type of bit. And then he falls off the building, which he should be dead. Yeah. Okay, so while he's being chased by the Nazi soldiers, he gets shot in the arm. Mm -hmm. So that establishes stakes. Where he is in this time-hopping excursion, he can be physically harmed. So something bad could happen to him. If you die in your dreams, you die in real life. Exactly. This is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Oh, all of them, I know. but This would actually be Part 1. Because this was before... Um, Nightmare, Nightmare was 84. Yeah, this was so 82. This it filmed and released in 83. There you go, then. Yes, this is before. Um, maybe what's his, uh, Wes Craven didn't get his ideas from newspapers. Maybe he got it from this movie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so stakes have been established. He can be hurt. He can be killed. He falls from a two-story building, and he just wakes up in the south, and he's fine. Like, he hits the ground, and he's on a dirt floor now instead of, like, the pavement, and he's in the south. In, like... It's got to be relatively recent because that's KKK, and the KKK were what the twenties. Well, the way they were dressed, I feel like this was modern day. Oh, you feel like it was supposed to be modern? Be, be, I mean, one of them was wearing. One of them had a watch that looked like it was like an eighties watch, like a Rolex. Yeah. Well, he picks. They they take off his watch, and they're like, "Oh, look, he's no, got no, a gold John, watch." He's John Larroquette was is wearing, wearing one. Is wearing a fancy watch. It wasn't gold, but. It had like a leather band. So yeah, so it's possible that this yeah, see, that wasn't really established because maybe you're right. It probably does take place in modern. Well, they had like trucks and stuff like that, like pickup trucks. So yeah, it was probably eighties, maybe seventies, sixties. Let's say that it was sixty nine. Sure. Sixty nine to seventy. Yeah, like that sounds good. Around the time of like the um, segregation. The, the, yeah, regular civil, uh, rights. Revol- civil rights revolution type stuff. I mean, I'm guessing it was supposed to be civil rights, but. Whoever did costumes that day, they're like, I don't have anything. Whatever. What, what did you come up wearing? Okay, that's good. We spent all of our time and money making this gremlin costume. 
which was pretty good. Yeah. But anyways, um, so he get he's about to be lynched, and they're like, once again, they're 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 dropping n words at him, and yeah. They, and so like that's that's the moment where I was like, okay, so is he supposed to be a black person in this one? Because he, you just brought up. He clearly was himself when he was in Germany. Yeah. So the fact that he is now supposed to just be a black man, there. What are the rules for this? What time hopping? What if he was just himself every single time, and the KKK is like, "Well, we can't find anybody, one, and I really want to kill someone, <laughs> so let's just do this white guy." We'll just pretend that he's black. Well, we'll just tell him he is and see what he does. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the first thing they say is. Wake up, boy. I was like, whoa. Yeah. And then they say the N-word. Yep. And I was like, no. Yeah. It was... Uh, like, It's so surreal hearing things like that. Like, obviously, they're doing it to make a point. Like, right. they're not saying it in jest or, like, to... Like, like casually. Like Blazing Saddles did to, yes. to point out the flaws in society yep. and stuff like that. But... Whoa! Yeah, like howdy, Bob, howdy, <laughs> and then he ends up in Vietnam. Yep, yeah, because he runs away from them, and I don't know if he falls again or something. Like that, he but goes he, into a swamp. That okay, yeah, and then he wakes up in uh, is is it supposed to be a rice paddy? Or? I I assume it's Vietnam. Yeah. Yes, it's uh, he surfaces in the jungle during the Vietnam War, and then they do my favorite like Vietnam like soldier stereotype of. The super cool, like, captain who's just, like, smoking a joint. <laughs> He's like, hold on, man. <laughs> like, that, that. anytime I see that in movies, like, they do it in Tropic Thunder with, uh, what's his name? Um, Robert Downey Jr. Yep. And, like, I love when they do that. And... Then all of a sudden he's like, "I'm an American," and they're like, "No, you're not." And they and they're shooting at him, and like, so that's another one of those things where like, well, okay, so did he change? Did he not change? Eh, whatever. So yeah, um, the American soldiers see him and they open fire on him, and he's like, "Screw this, I'm out of here." It starts to run, or he hides, and then the American soldiers are like, "I got this," and they take a grenade and they lob a grenade at him. Yeah, and then he blows up and ends up back in World War. Back II. in Germany. Yeah. He- so- that's like the the other thing is like so we'd established earlier the stakes that he can be hurt. If a grenade doesn't kill him, I I just don't and this is part of the reason why this one I feel is inferior because it's just there's no established rules, there's no established stakes and tension, and it's just You sloppy. don't care. You don't care. Mm-hmm. You don't care at all. Um what I loved is I pointed out to you when when the German soldiers finally get him and put him on the train. Mm-hmm. There's a huge continuity here. They take the star and they put it on his chest. Yep, it's supposed to go on his back. Okay, it like to on the actual train, and then mm-hmm. when they get there, they put it on the front. Oh, I mean, I took so many Holocaust. I said, this studies. is stuff I did not know. I took so, so. many Holocaust studies. It, it's so that because they don't want them facing forward until they get on the train. It's okay. ridiculous. <laughs> it's stupid. Um, it's the Holocaust. Nothing made sense. I know. And uh, he looks through the train and he sees his friends. And he's like, guys, guys, it's me in this train. Like, it's probably, they probably can't see. Yeah, I would imagine if you're in a, on a magical train about to be sent away to a uh, concentration camp in the past, your friends more than likely can't hear you. 
you're in Sterling, uh, Sterlingville. <laughs> like it doesn't. You're 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 screwed. Yeah. It. Uh, I don't know. This one just didn't do it for me, though. It. I wouldn't have put this to start it. I would have put this in the middle. Like mm-hmm. I would have opened with either kick the. I would probably open with kick the can and then go to this one if if you're gonna do that. See, I. Uh, well, well, when we get to kick the can, we'll talk about it. Well, I I don't think that kick the can fits the tones that they're fitting. They're, they're going for the other ones. Like, but. I don't know. Anyways, we'll, no, we'll, no, we'll, we'll get there. Fine. Well, okay, well, yeah. That's next. Yes. But uh, we were going to talk about who we would cast if if they did this today, who we feel should be in the lead yes. role. And mine is pretty obvious. Who do you think it is to play Vic Morrow's role? To play Vic Morrow? Um, oof. I got Mike, Michael Keaton. I Mel Gibson. Mel G- oh, okay. That's... Oh. Oh, that's a really good answer. Right? That's a really good answer. Like that... the, whole, the whole time I was like, this this would be amazing if it was oh, Mel Gibson. Wow. Yeah. This that is be... his community service. That actually is a really good idea. Uh-huh. I like that a lot. Right? Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> I'm like, eh? <laughs> I'm impressed with that. I'm very impressed with that. Because I was watching it. I was like, at first I was like, oh, like seeing Surly Harrison Ford would have been funny to... <laughs> But I was like, here's four things a little too old for that. Yeah. But Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, who would I want to see? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Michael Keaton in that in that role because like he can play the the curmudgeon really really well. I I would love when the Gestapo like stop him to see Michael Keaton do the eyebrow raise the. Yeah. Uh-huh. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> like, That'd be perfect. <laughs> I'm the vulture. He just puts on his vulture. <laughs> the back vulture and flies just flies away. away. That'd be amazing. <laughs> no one can stop me now. Uh, Michael Keaton's on a hot streak right now, so oh. I feel like that would, he would be a good good casting for this. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's a good casting. Well, thank you. So, kick the can yes. is next. I love this one. See, I would have like if they were gonna do it not as an anthology, like the way that they want to do it now mm-hmm. and make it like a series of movies. Okay. Um, I would have done this to get people into theaters, do it as one long movie, if that's... Of what, Kick the Can? Of, oh. of Kick the Can. Okay. And, like, show backstories of all the people building up. Hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, g- g- develop the characters. Do as a five-act just... structure. Uh, a five-act structure with the four, you know, the elderly couple who have been, like, childhood sweethearts, mm-hmm. and, and then the little old lady, and then uh, Mr. Conroy. Yep. So yeah, hmm. so this is takes place in is it Sunnyvale or Sunnyville? Sunnyville, Sunnyvale, Sunnyvale, uh, nursing home. Which this is like a nursing home I've never seen. I've never seen a nursing home that's actually in like an old Victorian house. Um, I I don't think I've actually personally seen one, but I'm not shocked that they would have something like that. Especially this is the '80s, so especially like. These would have been people who had potentially grown up living in a house like that, so I can see it, it like it's it's more of an assisted living style. Right. Like there's like there's a live-in nurse, um, and it's just kind of like a community type thing, uh, as opposed to like a these are people who are bedridden. Well, um, when they did this in like the 1960s, it mm-hmm. made sense because this was the type of nursing homes. But in the 80s, it just felt like it would be more of like a hospital looking like. Yeah. I can see that, especially like with the '80s, everything being like about economy and 
um, I don't know, money. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This makes sense. Um, this is Steven Spielberg's one. Yes. And this screams Spielberg. This has like Spielberg written all over Spielberg it. Spielberg whimsy is everywhere. Because this, you, you have to think he's fresh off of E.T. Yep. And they originally courted him to do it because of Jaws, because they wanted to do like a Jaws Close Encounters type of mm-hmm. like creepy one and he just did et and he's like no guys i'm feeling all like warm and gushy inside <laughs> and they're like I, I guess you can do kick the can so uh, that's what i'm actually curious about is I, I haven't really looked into this or researched it i probably should have how do you know how they picked which ones they were going to be doing like did they just say hey spielberg come and do a twilight zone and he's like fine i'm gonna do my favorite episode i'm yeah, gonna do they kick did the their can. favorite episodes that's that's how it worked yep in that case, that makes me even more grumpy about Landis doing an original because it's like oh, the hubris on you, man. Because we we before we get deep into kick the can, because we talked about we like thought of episodes he would have been great to do, yeah. like the obsolete man mm-hmm. or uh, oh, what one did I also? Were, did you, oh, was it time the, enough at last? Yeah, time, said? time enough. Uh, time enough at last would have been a great one. Yep. And if they still got Burgess Meredith to do it, like now an old Burgess Meredith as yeah. an old librarian. That'd be amazing. That would have been great. But no, they had to mess up and let him do an original one. Ugh. Like, this is what I've been saying like all month. Either do all originals, like if you're going to do it, have them have that feel mm-hmm. like like what Spielberg ended up doing with uh, Amazing Stories. Yep. That, that miniseries yep. that he did. Do something like that, or do all ones that we know. Don't don't throw it off, and don't kick off the the movie by doing something that we've I think never was a, seen before. I think that was a mistake, a misstep. Yeah. So kick the can. I this one isn't my favorite, but this one always leaves me feeling all like warm and fuzzy <laughs> inside, and I think it's because of Scatman Crothers. Yeah, Scatman Crothers was perfectly cast as the. Um, I believe this is, I hope this isn't offensive, as the uh, magic black man role. Because yeah. he like comes in to this, because they establish that he's new at this m- nursing home. And he starts kind of talking to the other people there and like riling them up and get, getting them um, well, engaged. You, and he's the one who does his magic. Right. What you said, that that's a real term because they've used it in several movies like Legend of Bagger Vance, yep. uh, Shawshank Redemption, Driving Miss Daisy, <laughs> any role Morgan Freeman has <laughs> played. to play. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it is a term. I mean, even in The Shining, his character is like that way until Good he gets... Good Scatman Crothers. Yeah. So I have a, a little secret for you that I didn't disclose. So when I was little, when I was about eight years old, I wanted to be a child actor and my parents started having me go to auditions for cool. like... And the only movie I ever auditioned for was Leave It to Beaver, the movie. Oh, I remember that. And, um... They Did you first... get it? <laughs> no. No. Uh, but we went to college with a kid who was originally cast as Alfalfa in the Little Rascals movie. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And uh, he didn't uh, want to do it, so they gave it to someone else. That I did not know. Yeah. Cool. So, Is it Matt? No, it's not Matt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So we, um, they, they had us read two scripts. They had us read lines from an old leave it to beaver episode and then mm-hmm. the other one they had us read was from 
Twilight Zone, the movie, the kick the can scene, oh. where Scatman Crothers is talking to the kids, and you had to play all the kids' parts. Hmm. But they cut out the part when the creepy old man, who is now a creepy old teenager, <laughs> says the line about sex. Yeah, they cut weird. that out. They stopped that there. That was really but, weird. But they didn't tell you. They just handed it to you. So I started reading Scatman Carruthers' part, <laughs> and I, I saw the movie at this point. So I started doing it the way they do, and they're like, thank you. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> like, cause we'll, like, we'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, they, they did that. And I was like, whoa, what did I do? <laughs> so like every time I think of that, I just think of this really uncomfortable Saturday morning that I went to this audition. And first off, they asked if I wanted to read for Lumpy, the fat friend, because of this chubby little eight-year-old. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm reading for the part of the beaver. And they're like, are you sure? Because you'd be a really good lumpy. I was like, oh. Could, your life could have been totally different if you had just sucked it up and been lumpy, Scott. The kid who played lumpy was the kid from um, Jingle All the Way, the one who was like, your parents should get a divorce. <laughs> and I was like, I'm glad I'm not lumpy. So like, I just always remember reading Scatman Crothers. Right? And, and even though like it prevented me from going to get a callback mm-hmm. or anything, I'm still glad. Worth that. it for the story. Yeah, that's really cool. I yeah, had no so, idea that. That's awesome. So I, I love that. That's part of the reason why I love this one because Scamming Brothers, and oh, Scamming Brothers is awesome. So this one opens up with, are they having a dietary like a nutrition? I don't. Seminar? I, it almost seems like it's like an orientation for new people or just but like all these a being people have old been orientation. I, I don't know. But yeah, cause the guy's talking about like, make sure you drink your calcium, your milk to get lots of calcium and you want to don't get osteoporosis. Exactly. Like... And have sex. Cause sex is great. And I was like, okay. <laughs> cause he was even like, if you maintain a healthy diet, you can have sex into your eighties. And I was like, what? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, Thanks, doctor. I just want the nurse to be like, thank you, doctor. Yes, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Great. <laughs> now I need dusty. to stay for the night shift. <laughs> so then um, the, everyone is not even paying attention to the sex seminar. They're looking out the window because Mr. Conroy's son came again to tell him that they're not going to take him home for the week. Mm-hmm. If they keep doing this, why do they even show up? Shouldn't he just be sitting on like the steps with like his suitcase? <laughs> like, like, is that them? Well, they're, huh? They're clearly still being a good family, and they're still showing up to visit him. But they're just not going to let him. There's no way they're letting him into their car. <laughs> they're like, you're not coming with us. Maybe next week. It's not going to work out this week, buddy. Yeah. So as I told you before, I rewatched the actual episode of this before uh-huh. we watched the movie, and. What I love about this segment is that Spielberg made it his own because Mr. Conroy is not the one who um, gets left by his family. Mm -hmm. It's actually the Scatman Carruthers role. And in that one, the Scatman Carruthers character is like, hey, if I start acting like a kid again, maybe I'll be a kid again. And he just goes up to people and he... he, uh, he calls someone a chicken liver, which I love that old timey term. It's like, don't be such a chicken liver. And then he goes up to another guy and like honks him on the nose <laughs> and goes up to the doctor and I goes, remember <laughs> and like starts sticking his tongue out. Uh, it, yeah, I, I like that original version as well. I think that's really funny. Um, and just surreal seeing like an older person uh, do those type of things. It's but, weird. 
but this one you have a magic man who has a magic can. Yes. And yeah, the ba- that can definitely was magic because he pulled it out of nowhere. Yeah. So, anyways, so this. <laughs> I would have preferred for him to take like his hand in front of him and then just be like, whoop. <laughs> and he uh, he feels bad, so he's like, "No, what will make everyone feel better? Talking about being young again." Yeah. And then uh, Mr. Conroy is not having any of those. Oh, he's like, why would you fill their head with this nonsense? We're I old. Like, I like being old. I'm going to go get some Clamato. <laughs> like, clear, uh, not, not to be a jerk, but clearly you don't enjoy being old because you are being, like, crapped on by your family. You're stuck in this place that you clearly don't want to be. And all these other people are, like, having a moment of, like, whimsy and they're remembering their past. And this guy's just being a jerk and being like, stop it. Stop enjoying yourselves. My, Be old with me. My favorite character in this episode is the married couple, the the Jewish uh, Zadie and Booby, like the, the two of like, huh, Maury. Yes, Agnes. Like, or Edith. Like, yeah, because that, that's the woman. She's like, the woman like took off her shoes and the guy's like, Jewish people don't take off their shoes. Like, is that a thing, Scott? Are Jewish people not allowed to take off their shoes? No. Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Spielberg seems to think that it is. We have to keep kosher. Stop eating that bacon cheeseburger. <laughs> and I love them because, first off, the actress who plays her, I forget her name, but she uh, she was Fish's wife on Barney Miller and the TV show Fish, but she was also the grandma on Dinosaurs. She was Ethel, Ethel Roberts. Ethel Beavers. Just kidding. <laughs> it's it's actually Ethel Roberts. I was re-watching Dinosaurs again, and we totally need to do that on the show. Okay, yeah, Dinosaurs it, is a messed up show. It's so messed up. Like, we gotta do the last episode. Yeah, that last episode when the meteor comes and they all die. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, but she she's my favorite thing in this because the girl who ends up playing her as a young girl is trying so hard to do that impression of her. Oh it, yeah, it's amazing. So um. Scatman Carruthers is like, why don't we wake up at midnight and we'll go and we'll play a game of kick the can. But before that, they're talking about like stuff they used to love to do as yep. kids and the the songs that the the two old ladies were like the jumping jack songs. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure didn't exist. Like a little robber snuck in my house, came in the oh, house, yeah, that's right. and I I was just saying, told me to get on the floor <laughs> as they grabbed all my stuff. Said if I look up and call the cops, they'll kill everyone and two and three yeah, and bang and bang and bang. Because <laughs> like I was like that can't be because the the other actress, the other old lady actress, mm-hmm. as um the grandma from Dinosaurs was singing this, she was like, yeah, I remember that one. <laughs> I'm like, no, they're making this up. This is like the worst improv game. This is the worst form of yes and. Yeah. So like the they liked playing jacks. Some other people liked. I don't even remember what else they liked. Uh, it was her husband loved climbing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he could climb anything. He was like a cat. I think he yeah. said I can climb things like a. Cat. Which is weird because I was a chubby kid and I couldn't climb anything. <laughs> like I tried climbing a tree once and I fell. I had a tree in my yard that I would climb, but then I wasn't that chubby as. Yeah, a child. I've seen photos of you <laughs> younger. You were skinny. Yeah, I don't know what happened. In but... in high school is when I got skinny. When I was little, I was a butterball. <laughs> so, um, 
who th- there was that one guy who still liked bubbles and he's like i like bubbles and they're like we know <laughs> <laughs> shut up maury we know <laughs> but then there's mr ag who is who is the best mm-hmm. he's not my favorite but he's the old... he's the guy who's like obsessed with doing it right yeah <laughs> he's like oh i would love quoting shakespeare in the park to a young damsel and i love playing robin hood so then they're like why don't we wake up and play kick the can? And then they play kick the can and they turn into kids. Yeah. Well, so yeah, this is the point where this is the most like the original episode because um, they all go outside. Scatman Crothers does his does his magic and he drops his magic can and all the other people come out and start um, kicking the can around. And like it's one of those moments where like Scatman Crothers turns around and poof, they're all children. And then we go through like a little montage of all the children playing in the yard. One guy climbs up. Uh, the, the kid who likes to climb climbs up. The kid who likes bubbles blows the crap out of some bubbles. The- oh, on on uh, my favorite, on a swing set. Why why is there like a children's swing set in this nursing home? Right. Yeah, that's really sur- weird and I surreal. Mean, the only thing I could think of is like for when they're. Grandkids, grandkids come, come over i don't know that seems like a waste of space then though but when i used to go visit my grandparents like at their place there was a park but that's mm-hmm. only because there was like an elementary school right next mm-hmm. to this because they put an elementary school there because they're like well these are old people they're not going to try and hurt any children so let's put a park there where both of my grandmothers are right now neither of them have a playground for children when they come it's all you know about their comfort and all that stuff. I dare you to say to your dad, this place is crap. There's no swing set. <laughs> I was watching the Twilight Zone movie and there's no we swing need a set. swing set in the backyard, please. Um, I'm just It's possible that this is like a neighbor's house thing. I don't know. I'm just making that up because they're in their backyard, which right. we never see otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, so all the kids are kids. One of my favorite parts is there's a woman who, when she was playing Kick the Can, for whatever reason, she was just holding a cat. And she's like, this is my cat, Mr. Poopsie or something. And so they're they're playing kick the can. And then once she turns back into a kid, it's now a kitten. It's just like, okay, <laughs> whatever. You were you mentioned um, there's Mr. a kind Agee. of what? Oh, were you going to talk? Mr. Agee turns no turns into a fifteen year old. Well, that's what I was, that is what I was. Yes, okay. I was going to say there's a ma- major inconsistency in the ages of these kids because some of them are like six and some of them are like. 18. Yeah. No, obviously not 18, but they're definitely like teenage, young teenagers. I, I would say Mr. AG was supposed to be either 15 or 16, mm-hmm. but the the cat lady was supposed to be like eight. Yeah, because, well, I, I think she's Are, six. Because, no, no, because yeah, he's she's taught, supposed to be Because six. at one point, Scatman Crothers is being like, oh, well, in two years, you can either watch That's Haley's Comet when you're... That's two birthdays Two birthdays now. You, you can either be 80 watching Haley's Comet or eight watching Haley's Comet. So, yeah, I mean, and, she was six. Yeah, and because she wanted to, all she wanted to do was dance again. And Mr. Ag, who is like fifteen or sixteen, is like, "May I have this dance?" I was like, "Oh, this is like Roman Polanski territory." Because it was right after he got done talking to Scatman Crothers about how he wanted to bone a bunch of chicks, and I was like, <laughs> "No, no, it's b- bad, stranger danger, stranger danger." Also, his hair doesn't change colors. Yeah, he, he still has white hair as a y- little yeah, kid. Yeah, and I said to you, "Is this like Steve Martin?" Like. <laughs> He went gray at like twelve. <laughs> it's like his tenth birthday. He has like a lush head of black hair, and then eleventh birthday, he just wakes up and his hair is like gone white. He's like that, Henry Bowers from that, It. That actually happened to a kid I went to high school with. His he, hair turned white overnight. Over the summer, like he <laughs> went and he had like nice brown hair like mine, and then he came back and we're like, "Geez, Pete, what happened?" 
saw some shit over <laughs> over summer vacation. I'm never going to my grandparents' house again. <laughs> squeak, squeak, squeak. <laughs> I'm done. But anyway, so all the kids are turned into all the uh, adults are turned into kids, and Scatman Crothers is like, "My magic has succeeded. This and is what you wanted, right?" No. <laughs> yeah. and, oh, and I got so sad because the cat lady is like, <laughs> she's like, "But all I wanted to do was dance. I can be eighty and dance." I was like, "What did you do? Yeah. You the, the, why weren't you dancing before then?" So. And some of them had like really, you're right, heartbreaking reasons. One of them was like, all my, um, everyone I've known is dead. I don't want to go through that again. It, it was the married couple. It was, mm-hmm. um, uh, Grandma Dinosaur. Yes. And she's like, yeah, my father's dead, and my kids are now like old enough to be my parents. I don't want to have to. Basically, what she says is, I don't want to have to bury my kids. Yeah, it's pretty messed up when you take a step back. Yeah. I mean, they. What I like about it is, so in the original one, the original episode, they just turn into kids, and that's how it ends. And it's like, and then the other guy doesn't turn into a kid. And he's like, and "Take me with you, Billy." He's like, "Please, I want to be young." And like, he, his, the train has passed. He's missed it. But in this one, they all turn into kids, and they're like. Let's think logically about this, guys, for a second. We're going to have to re-go through school. We're going to have to find people to take care of us. This isn't going to work. And, and it was Mr. almost like sur- weird. Then like, Mr. Ag brings up sex again. He's like, yeah, but we could also have sex. And they're like, stop it. <laughs> Shut up. That's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> stop talking. <laughs> God damn. But uh, the, the, so it was very weird about how like they deviated at that moment. And then, like, uh, what's his name? Scamman Crothers has, like, the best solution. He's like, well, now you can go back to being old, but you have fresh minds. And then, like, they all go, fresh minds. And Mr. Adrian's like, wait, 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 I want a bone. <laughs> He's like, fresh meat is more like it. <laughs> well, it's actually kind of nice because they, like, there's a period where um, Kitten Girl is talking to um, Scatman Crothers. And she's like, why didn't you turn? He's like, well, I've found that I like to stay my age, but I stay young up here. And, like taps his eyeballs wait don't you have alzheimer's <laughs> who are you again <laughs> so like it's kind of a it's a cute message it's a really sweet little message um but they're like fine we'll get old again so they go upstairs and they almost give an old man a heart attack <laughs> well you brought up like a brilliant th- thing that oh, be- <laughs> this isn't brilliant this is morbid <laughs> Yeah, but it made me laugh. Um, it, w- it would be so like morbid if they become young kids and Mister Conroy just dies in his sleep, and <laughs> they go to they go, they go to wake him up, and they're like, "Come on, we're gonna play a prank on him. <laughs> wake up, popsicle head, popsicle head." Hey, hey, well, he's cold like a popsicle. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what have we done? <laughs> in the twilights. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> So so they go upstairs. <laughs> they wake him up, and that's when uh, I have to say that for um, Grandma Dinosaur's husband, they mm-hmm. did find a kid who looked exactly like him. Oh yeah, yeah. So they wake him up, and uh, the old Jewish grandpa goes popsicle head, <laughs> and I was like, how is that an insult? First off, he doesn't look like a popsicle. I pointed out to you, he looks exactly like Jeff Dunham's puppet. Oh, he one hundred. He looks like Walter. Did. Yeah. That was, like, weird. It was, was like, So then he's like, I'm going to go get the nurse. And they go back into bed, and they're they're grown-ups again. Yep, they turned turned back into uh, old people uh, while the other guy had gone to go get the nurse. 
All except... Horny old Mr. Agee. <laughs> he's still a teenager. He, like, jumps out, does, like, backflips on the beds, and he's like, try and catch me, coppers. <laughs> like, and then like, the, the nurse lady, like, freaks out at him. Well, he, he mentions Robin Hood again. He goes, hello, Maid Marian in Sh- Sherwood Forest, milady. And she's like, how dare you? <laughs> he, like, tips his fedora at her. Yeah, and she's like... How dare you in Mr. Agee's pajamas? Like, And then she's like, where's Mr. Agee? What well, messed up pajamas? He was shirtless, and he had tied his, like... Uh, silk? silk his his silk shirt around his neck like a cape. Like a cape, yeah. And then he Clearly took, that's his Then pajamas. he took a bathrobe and tied it around his waist like a longer cape. <laughs> but anyway, so he's standing, he's sitting out the window, and he gives, like, this little, like, farewell speech about, I don't know, oh, being Oh, because Mr. Conrad goes... Like goes take me with you and he's like where i'm going you can't come and i was like where are you going then he jumps out the window and commits suicide like not really but no he he jumps out the window jumps onto a tree branch does a flip and jumps over the gate did he really yeah did i block that out because i do not remember that i've always remembered that from a kid and watching it again i was like yeah you did again yep he's a cartoon character fancy so (sighs) uh who would you cast Let's only do Scamming Crothers. Who would you cast in that? Morgan Freeman. Um, I was going to take Morgan Freeman off the table. I'm like... Oh, you are? okay. So if we take Morgan Freeman off the table... Um, you know who I would cast? I would cast Tony Todd. Um, I love Tony Todd. Tony Todd's great. Uh, I would cast Tony Todd in that role. I, I He has... Like, the voice of Tony Todd, just that gravelly... And that presence of Tony Todd, That's that is my See, Scatman Crothers uh, step in. I, for, I would change it a little, and I would make it like... An orderly or nurse who who turns them mm-hmm. young, and I would make it Idris Elba. Oh, that would be good too. Yeah, like like a young doctor who's like, I used to be old, but here I am now. Oh, look at me! I'm redoing it. <laughs> I'm okay. handsome as hell, and I'm gonna be James Bond. No, or, James Bond is James Bond. No, or, uh, no Frank is back. You I think, know, you but think I Elba still will be. I want Elba. That would be yeah, me too. That'd be great. Um, so this one actually. Let's do uh, the the bagels for each segment. Oh, okay. okay. Oh, each individual one? Oh, gee. Okay, so, so you want to go back and... The Big Ed, I'm... There's two bagels left. It's so boring, and it's mm-hmm. just not Twilight Zone to me. Like, it's got the skeleton of a Twilight Zone episode, but the writing is not Twilight Zone. I'm giving it zero, and that's more of an on-principle thing. Um <laughs> Don't touch my stuff. <laughs> no, no, not not that. So, um, it, you're right. It it felt like it was very Twilight Zone inspired. It had the the skeletal structure of what a Twilight Zone should be. Um, the acting was fine. The set design was fine. Blah, blah, blah. But just it wasn't an it, it was an original story, not a Twilight Zone episode. Big points off for that. And then the helicopter crash is an accident that could have been avoided. And that, I think, just... I, I know this is all, like, external stuff, like, coloring everything, but no. Like, that's inexcusable. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this, but, like, the kids were, like, illegally hired oh, yeah, yeah, and everything. So, go away, Land. Like, you messed up. Zero, zero for that one. Uh, inexcusable uh, train wreck. I didn't oh, To Serve Man was the one we said that Jonathan Landis should have done. That one would have been awesome as well. That's... And- so, and uh, this one, kick the can. Uh, kick the can. Mm. I'm gonna give. See, I'm, I, all right, 
I'm not that big a fan of Kick the Can. Uh, I don't really like the original story that much. I don't didn't really like this one that much. Um, I'm going to leave it with six, which is probably a lot less than you. Um, six. No, uh, I, I was going to go with seven. So. Oh, okay. It's it, it's well directed. It's well it's finely shot. It's actually it feels a little flat, and I think that just has to do with where they are in the, a location. Um, Scatman Crowley does a good performance, but the rest of it's just kind of like a little boring to me. Um, it's not, I mean, it has like the Twilight Zone magic and it has like kind of a really sweet little message there at the end, but it's not what my issue with this movie in general, um, sorry to go on like a little tangent here, but my issue with this movie in general is you have, that's why we do this podcast. (laughs) Exactly. You, you, you have four segments and you're, you're trying to showcase like the best of what the Twilight Zone is. I don't understand why you would waste, in my opinion, waste two of those segments on Kick the Can and an original story. You have so many other classic, strong, great Twilight Zone episodes with twists and turns and are visually interesting and have like challenging ideas, at least when they were originally created. So like, I don't understand why they didn't do Two Serve Man. I don't understand why they didn't do even like a game of pool, which I know is my favorite I was talking about, <laughs> but or, or like... Um, some of the other ones we watched. Like, I would uh, have loved for Spielberg to do Walking Distance. Yeah, w- walking Distance would have been so much better than Kick the Can, but in be- my opinion. Because what he could have done is, like, if he did Walking Distance, and this is 83, so you have Walking Distance and he cast Dustin Hoffman mm-hmm. or Al Pacino yep. as uh, probably And Dustin- instead of going back to the 30s, it goes back to, like, the 50s the and 50s, type of deal. Yeah. And, but, yeah, uh, that, that would have been great. But, but there are just so many classic 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 twilight zone episodes and to, to to waste a slot on an original concept that really I, th- I find inexcusable um and then this one it just it was relatively boring and it didn't fit with the tone of the rest of them but i i, I like what you're saying if they had done walking distance because i get i get them trying to do like a wide swath of them so you have like the really scary one at the end you have kind of like a more disturbing one which is the next one we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. the first one was uh, political like they they always did wartime ones whatever and this one's kind of like a more happy one i would have liked to have seen them all more more classic more well known and more scary i i would have preferred this to be a straight up spooky movie well yes i that's why i took out so many because i would have because it felt like they wanted to do like at least two more of these. So do like the scary ones to set it off, and then people mm-hmm. are like, "Oh, this is gonna be scary." And then for the second one, do the more sentimental ones. Do two. Mm-hmm. Do you know, um, like do two. Do um, game of pool and stuff like that. Yep. And for this one, Jonathan Landis, I just thought that was the perfect one, and we already talked about it on the podcast. He should have done Eye of the Beholder. That is yep. his wheelhouse. That's what he... I mean, if you look at American Werewolf in London, how gothic like the beginning of that movie is, mm-hmm. and the shadow and the lighting, Yeah, that would have been perfect for him. Eye of the Beholder would have been great, or like the, the, the face mask one, the death, oh, ma- yeah, death the mask de- one. Yep. That one would have been or perfect as well. Yeah, the camera would have been great. I, I don't know why he did an original one. I, I find that really obnoxious. Or he loves working with Belushi. This was before Belushi died. He loves working with Belushi and Aykroyd. Cast them in the silence, the the one with the the obnoxious guy doing the, the talking and stuff like that. Yeah, or, yep. the the guy who 
challenges him to not talk for a year. Yep. That one would have been amazing, especially and, with those two people. Yeah, with Belushi as the obnoxious one and Accurate as the sensible one. That would have been a, oh, that would have been fantastic. That would have been so good. Come on, uh, that's it's just missed opportunities, and that's what frustrates me more than anything about this about that first segment. But see, like the first half of the movie is meh because I mean, I agree. I, I feel like Kick the Can was supposed to be a palate cleanser. Yep. And Spielberg doing a, a Twilight Zone movie, you know, it makes sense. But mm-hmm. I feel like he should have done more of his supernatural close encounter style. So, something with aliens. None of these had anything to do with aliens. If he and did the so invaders, much... yeah. If Spielberg did the invaders, mm-hmm. that would have been great. Or even Spielberg doing like Walking Distance, as we said before. Yeah. I, yeah. But there... Spielberg doing the invaders would have been phenomenal. S- spoiler alert: None of these had to do with outer space. Which I think is a big misstep in the Twilight Zone stuff because I feel like fifty percent of the Twilight Zone episodes had to do with some sort of science fictiony outer spacey I, thing. I'm shocked that the movie didn't open up by doing the pilot by doing the yeah yeah. You know what would been a good one? The one where um, they end up on Mars in a zoo and like man yeah. is like a uh, is is on the exhibit yeah. exactly. That yeah, would have yeah. been great. That would have been great. Come on. So, but, but this is when it starts to get good is when Joe Dante, because I love Joe Dante. So you said you were at seven for that last one? Sorry, yeah, I don't... for the same exact reason, yeah. like for you. But I gave it a higher one because it's Spielberg. Mm-hmm. He does capture the whimsy that is, because at times Twilight Zone can be whimsical. Yep, definitely. And he does capture that. And I love how he leaves it on a happy ending where the original Kick the Can goes on to a more depressing it definitely is because because that guy's like left alone Mm -hmm. in that one whereas in this one um they they, they all everyone at the retirement home has gotten their second wind and scatman crothers moves on to another one to to sow his magic so then this is where we get into like rewatching it again my order went it went uh the last segment and then it went kick the can and then it went um uh, this thir- next one. Yeah, but I've... now, now the 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 good life. It's yep, a good life. It's a good life. Yeah, but now it's a good life is second, and the... that spoiler alert. That is actually my order as well. I from beginning to end, they get they go from bad to great. Like that's that's my my order is reversed. So it's four three two one is my yep. preferred order. And for these. mine used to be four two three one, and yep. now it's four three two one. After rewatching it, because mm-hmm. I forgot, I think I used to watch this a lot when I was younger, and this one always kind of scared me, mm. and that's why. But rewatching it again, I was like, "Oh, it's just Joe Dante style." Because when I was younger, Joe Dante movies, with the exception of Matinee, scared the bejeebas out of me. Well, they were super spooky. Yeah, and now watching them again, like I love Inner Space. And uh, you don't like Gremlins, right? But that's that, a, there, there's another external reason for there's that. A, yeah, there, there's a more external private reason for that. <laughs> Gremlins killed my family. No, um, dun, 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 dun. No, no, I just uh, yeah, I know personal reasons that I don't like it. Um, but I love The Explorers was w- probably my favorite childhood movie growing up. I <laughs> would watch it more than I would watch Bebe's Kids or or <laughs> The Goonies. Like that's. When I wasn't able to rent The Explorers, I'd probably run Baby's Kids because of that. <laughs> I I rented The Explorers a lot. Um, the Explorers was fine. Is that the one with the bubble? Yeah, that's the one. Okay, yes. I like The Explorers. It's Flight of the Navigator that I don't like. I do like Flight of the Navigator, too. But uh, 
the explorers just Joe Dante what he did with that. And this is what really showcased it because this was his third movie that he ever really made. I mean, you can argue that it's not really a movie. It's just it's a, a short film. Yeah, but he made Piranha, and then he made The Howling, and then he got this. Because Spielberg's like, uh, I really like The Howling. Do you want to come on board and direct a segment for Twilight Zone? And he goes, no, because I'm an idiot. I'm like, no, he's like, yeah, I do. Yeah, because I'm an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> did you ever see um, they did on Key and Peele, the Inside the Gremlins 2 writer's room? No, I did not see that so one. So it's uh, Key and Michael Key as Joe Dante um, trying to brainstorm with the writers, uh, the script doctors, for how to do... Gremlins too, and then uh, Peel shows up with a like picture. Uh, Wesley Snipes' hair from um, Demolition Man, like the blonde, oh, yep. the blonde uh, high top fade, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I'm I'm the other script doctor that they asked to come in here," and he's like super flamboyantly gay. He's like <laughs> the character from Mannequin. Okay, and he's he's like, "I'm just here to watch. I'll let you do your magic." And then he cuts off Joe Dante, <laughs> and he he's like. Okay, let's do ideas for gremlins. And he goes, how about we have a bat gremlin? And he's like, you mean like Batman? And then when he jumps through the window, he makes the bat symbol? It's in the movie. And Joe Dante's <laughs> like, no, 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 no. And then he's like, what about you? How about a googly-eyed one? Oh, one that's kind of crazy and stupid? It's in the movie. And he goes, what about a lady one? Oh, one with like little boobies and a vajayjay? It's in the movie. And you're hired because you're a lady. And like, that's it just funny. felt, it's the funniest that you have to watch it. Because the way it just either showed you that's how that movie was really made, or Joe Dante is like insane. It, probably a little bit of both. And <laughs> I think this is this showcases Joe Dante's like genius. Yeah, this one was really good. Um, what I liked about this one was just the subtle descent into something is off on this one, and that's what made this one really feel like a Twilight Zone episode to me. Is like the structure and the pacing of what was going on um, was perfect and it fit the, the pitch and the tone of an original Twilight Zone. And that's more or less why I really liked it. Yeah, who's the guy who's like in every single one of Joe Dante's movies? Oh, uh, Mr. Futterman. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, da, 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 da. Like John Walsh or no, Joe something? I think Jeremy, not Jeremy Leck, Kevin McCarthy, Patrice Barry, William, William Charlotte. Uh, William Dick Ch- Miller, Dick Miller, Dick Miller, Dick Miller. William Charlotte is also in a lot of um, his movies too, mm-hmm. but uh, Dick Miller is my favorite. Like, he he's in Gremlins, he's in Matinee, he's great in Small Soldiers because I'm pretty sure his character in Small Soldiers is Mr. Futterman. Just Mr. Futterman. Yeah, um, and in the Burbs, like in Burb, the Burbs, mm-hmm. he's so good in it. Like he's. Joe Dante's like magic go to guy, yeah. yeah, magic gem. So this one, I love that it starts off with making reference to other Twilight Zone episodes. Yeah, it, this one was the only one that I actively noticed those types of references, um, which is just great because that made me like it, it wasn't overt, but it was one of those things where if you know enough about the Twilight Zone, you could pick it up, and it was awesome because what 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 it was. She's the the woman was going to Willoughby, which is a um, next stop mm-hmm. at Willoughby reference, yep. and then she was going from she was from Homewood, Homewood, which is from walking, uh, distance. walking distance, which is awesome. What if, oh, what if she was the lady whose son was up in the tree? 
Oh, possibly. You never <laughs> the, know. The son fi- fell out and died, and, <laughs> and dun, that's dun, why dun. she's leaving her life behind to become a teacher. <laughs> or it's like sure. they ran out of cheap ice cream. That's that's got to be it. Yeah, obviously. So she's she's what the the principal or like the new. Te- she's just traveling to a new job. I don't, well, I don't, she's a teacher. Yeah, she's and she's new- just going to another town, I believe. Yeah, for, or she's going to Willoughby for her new town yeah. for her new um job. And so she she stops at like a bar to get like instru- uh, directions. And while she's there, um, she sees a little boy playing. It's Tempest, actually. Uh, she's <laughs> playing an arcade game called Tempest, or he's playing an arcade game called Tempest. And things are like going, like the the TV's on the fritz in the corner. And so like it's a little bit odd, but it's nothing like you know crazy out of the ordinary. But the the way that the bar patrons respond to that. They're like gonna beat the crap out of this kid because they think he's the reason that the TV is on the fritz. So they're clearly insane. It's just like, come on, guys, what? And like they start to like they push this kid down, and, and they the, they rip the socket. They, yeah, they they unplug the uh, unplug the arcade machine. They they not only unplug it, but they rip it out of the. Oh, arcade. I didn't catch that. Yeah. Well, because the kid was complaining because he was like, "Hey, this game's not working," and the Mister Futterman's like. Uh, I, I, I'm not the one who makes the game, kids. I just plug them in. Put another quarter in. Maybe that'll fix it. Well, because he says, I'm the one who gets the quarters. That's what it is. I yeah. collect the quarters. And he's like, put another quarter in. <laughs> Don't feed it after midnight. <laughs> so he, uh, I guess this, the guy who goes to assault the kid was actually on the Twilight Zone. Oh, really? I believe he was the kid from the original one. He was the original. Oh, the one who played the original kid in... um, I believe he was. uh, What was the name of the original version? It's a good life. Uh, Nightmare as a Child. Oh, Nightmare as a Child? Is the name of the episode. Oh, because what's the one of It's a Good Life? Uh, I thought it was... I thought it was this one. Hold on. No, no, it is a remake of the episode. Sorry, just kidding. It is a remake of the episode It's a Good Life. Um, The name of the main character is uh, Helen Foley is from Nightmare as a Child. Which is, um, it's the one where this, the, the woman, a woman is getting like phone calls for, or she see she finds a little child who is herself, um, from the past. And like, she had like some sort of like childhood trauma. Just kidding. My mistake. It was called It's a Good Life. Okay. Um, which is I'm, a great episode. I'm pretty sure it's the kid who played, the guy is the, played the kid in that, that episode. Well, that's pretty, that's really cool. Cause uh, see, Joe Dante does stuff like that. Yeah. As he should. Um, I'm gonna beat myself up. So <laughs> she's like, "Get out of here!" And she's like, "I'm leaving." And and Dick Miller. Oh, we didn't even talk about Dick Miller was trying to hit on her. And he was like, "Oh yeah, he was." He was it like, was, "Yeah, was maybe creepy. I can show you around town." And they're like, "Hey, your wife's on the phone." And he's like, "Excuse me." It was, yeah. But, uh, what? No, no. It was super weird. Excuse me, I have to take this phone call. That's clearly not my wife. Wink. <laughs> and then he's like, "No, no, stay, sweetheart. Stay, stay here." And she's like, no, I'm going. And then she hits the kid with her car. Yeah, so the kid, well, he clearly does this on purpose. Yeah. But So the kid, like, gets onto his bicycle, and he's, like, riding through the um the parking, parking lot, lot. And the woman just, like, backs up into him. It's yeah, like, it's like, that kid would have been dead. It was like, <laughs> pow. Because it looked exactly like, um, you said you've never seen Robert Altman shortcuts. No. In the movie, Lily Tomlin is backing out of a, a parallel parking spot, and... Mm-hmm. She hits a kid the same way. He's also on a bike, and she hits him just as hard. And she's like, "Are you okay? Do you want to go to the doctor's? I'll take you to the doctor." And he's like, "No, I gotta go." 
and then the kid dies. Oh jeez. Like like he he starts running a fever and they're like there's something wrong with him and they're like he was hit by a car. <laughs> That's pretty messed up. And the same thing happened in Blank Check. Only the kid didn't die. He got a blank check written to him. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I told you we need to do blank check because yeah. there's a whole scene where that FBI agent kisses Just him on the makes mouth. Makes out with that kid. Yeah, yeah. It messed up. Um, so I I could talk about that for hours. <laughs> so this. What do you that guy from Kick the Cans got? <laughs> no, it because it, it's a Disney movie. I know yeah. it is messed up. But anyways, um, so she's like, "Oh, are you okay? Do you want me to give you money to buy a new bike? How about you take him to the doctor?" Yeah, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. Like, his bike was messed up, too. Like, that, the that front wheel. tire was all mangled, and the kid was like, hey, you know, he he looked like he was unscathed, but he skated by a car. She wasn't going slow. That kid was, uh, the only other thing he really ever did was Ho- the Hogan Family. Okay. Which was one of Jason Bateman's TV shows. Uh, um, which start- After Family Ties or before Family Ties? Jason Bateman... Jason Bateman. No. His no, sister was on I'm family. thinking of Justine Bateman. Just kidding. Uh, no, he was on Silver Spoon. That's it. He was the jerky kid on Silver Spoon, and he got the Hogan family based on that. And that was supposed to be like Valerie Harper's big show. And the kid who played his brother got cast because of this movie. Hey. They saw him, and they're like, this kid has range. The kid, was, he's, the kid actually wasn't that bad he was for, really a child good actor. for a child There was a couple of like sequences towards the end when he kind of got a little bit... When he was talking towards the end, I was like, eh, okay, shut up, kid. But when he was doing like facial expressions and stuff like that, that was spooky. They wanted to hire Henry Thomas from E.T. Oh, okay. And he was doing Cloak and Dagger. Mm. Which doesn't is a work. Great, great movie. Doesn't work for him then, though. Yeah. So, Jeremy Lich... And this starts hit. He starts hitting on like everyone's hitting on Kathleen Quinlan in this. She's a cute lady. I mean, she played Tom Hanks's wife in Apollo Thirteen, so she's a fine lady. Yes, she is. <laughs> um, but like, he was like, he's more or less be like, take. Can you drive me? He does he ask her, can you drive me home? He's like, or? my bike's all messed up. Can you give me a ride? And then while he's going there, he's like, oh, it's great that I met a new friend. And he's like looking at her, giving her like googly eyes. And, and the way like, she Whoa. says it is like, yeah, but her response is just as creepy. She goes, me too. I was like, Jesus. Take a step back, please, and uh, calm down. <laughs> okay, we need to sterilize the people <laughs> in this movie. So uh, they show up at this like desert wasteland of like dry like grass, and like yep. as they're driving, everything is dead. And when they get to his house, there's all these cars. Yeah, it was so weird. So well, you have to assume like no one's been out of this house other well, they than the all kid. gave him rides yeah exactly all these people gave him rides to, the, to this place so then he goes i'm home and everyone's like oh anthony's, anthony's home. home yeah anthony's home and as soon like so things have been not that weird up until this point but as soon as you enter this house and you see all of these people well like, the house fawning looks exactly over... like the cartoon when when you, yep. you you see the outside of the house and then it goes into the cartoon the cartoon is looks exactly like the house which is just awesome like so the they enter this house and there's um i think five other people four other people there four there's four other people who are like all fawning over this kid anthony's home this is great anthony's here and on every tv is um a different cartoon that's playing no one's like clearly no one's enjoying themselves they are um looking relatively sour but as soon as the kid enters they're like perking up oh anthony's here anthony's here yeah anthony's here oh do you bring a friend with you anthony this is great oh oh a she, lady yeah oh she gave me a ride oh that's awesome Anthony. she that's hit really me with cool. her car 
You hit him? Yeah, they like freaked out. And you you said a thing here where you're like, why didn't you kill him? Yeah, because it's uh, Nancy Cartwright, it's Bart Simpson, and she goes, you hit him with your car? And like the way she said it was like, you should have ran him it's over. Please end it. <laughs> and because what would have happened if she hit him with the car and killed him? Would everyone just zap back? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know, it could actually be pretty dark, and it's possible they would have been trapped there because huh. if his wish, unless his wishes were undone, because that's what, if you've seen the original episode, you know. So this is a kid who has a magic power where whatever he wishes comes true. He makes big wishes. Um, and so if he had wished for them to be trapped there, unless that wish was like undone, they wouldn't have known. Right. Um. <clears throat> And you pointed out that Edith, who is Nancy Cartwright, mm-hmm. is there's a reason why she probably stuck to voice acting. Because yeah. I mean, granted, she was probably only 17 years old, mm-hmm. but but still, the, the the little kid was emoting better than she was. There was there's a moment where she kind of has like a confrontation with the child with Anthony, and she knows that Anthony has the power to. More or less just obliterate her. her. Yeah. Yeah. Like erase her from existence. And like he says something to her and like you can tell that she was supposed to be scared. But she did not look scared at all. She was just like, uh, like blank faced. Yeah. Line. Line. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how it seemed. And like it just did not work very well. (laughs) But she's great as Bart Simpson. So then... This is one thing that I thought was weird. She, she's like, uh, Kathleen Quinlan's like, can I have a tour of the house? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, totally. Go for a tour of the house. Who asks for that? Like, it's, I, I can see that if it's like, hey, I have some friends and they just moved into a new house and we're going, coming over to meet them or see their new house for the first time. Yeah, you want to see the tour of the house. But these are people who you just met mm-hmm. and it's like, why don't you just want to get out of here as soon as possible? And she, she's like, oh, yeah, this should be fun. And, like, everyone, uh, the mom, the mom grabs her sweater and she's like, mm-hmm. I'll take your card again. And then I was like, oh, that's a nice top she's wearing. And then I see, the, like, the giant tunic poofy arms. <laughs> I was like, ugh. I was like, is she wearing a leotard? Because I remember growing up watching this, I was like, is she wearing a leotard? And yeah, I it's dre- a little strange of a choice, but it was the 80s. <laughs> Don't 80s shame, Scott. Stop being an 80s shamer. No, I love the 80s. Um, but so... So, uh, so she goes for the tour and they, he takes they her rifle upstairs. through her stuff. Which was another point where you're like, this, something's wrong here. And it makes sense because they're rifling through her stuff looking for things that there's no way that Anthony would have ever let them have. Because Nancy Cartwright finds um, some cigarettes and she starts smoking. And um, the, the woman who plays the mother is find, finds like makeup and she's like putting her makeup on like and furiously. And moisturizer. She's and, like putting moisturizer exactly. all over her arms. And she's like, this is amazing. Like, you can tell they're like so so happy to have some sort of like sliver of the outside world. And Kevin McCarthy plays his uncle. Mm-hmm. Kevin McCarthy was an invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original one. Um... He was in UHF, which is a movie I love. And is that the um, Weird Al movie? Yep. Okay. Yeah, he's a bad guy. And he was in The Twilight Zone. He was... I forgot what episode he was in. But also the dad was William Salwright. Mm-hmm. He was also in The Twilight Zone. <laughs> That's awesome. So so um, this is the one that had the most people that were in actually in, in The Twilight Zone. I know um, Kick the Can, the old jewish um couple they were in an episode oh cool so 
he is like they're 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 fighting the father and the sister are fighting over the cigarettes mm-hmm. but he's fighting over the pictures he's like uh i love the beach i remember the beach the beach was great photographs he likes looking at photographs i guess i, I just think he missed his connection to the outside world i mean he, he's the one character that doesn't make sense of being there like mm-hmm. it, it it makes sense for anthony to kidnap a mother and a father but and a sister mm-hmm. but a weird uncle like yeah, I, I feel like it was almost whoever just gave him was nice enough to give him a ride back to the house, and the, he's like, "Fine, I'll I'll deal with you." And I, I wonder if it has to do with because at, some, at a point later on, they um, he makes he forces that character to do a magic trick. Oh, if he one? was a birthday magician. Yeah, it's possible that like, or maybe he like had called for a birthday in, in, or entertained um Anthony like when he like ran into him out in the thing, and he was like, "You're funny. Come back to my house and do tricks for me all the time." Type of deal. I'm. I wonder if that's how that worked. Yeah. And and then she's getting a tour. Well, that was my actual favorite part of it. Because um, when she goes upstairs to um, see him up or to, to look around upstairs, everything downstairs, all the cartoons were being played in color. Upstairs, everything was all the cartoons black were being white. played in black and white. And all the hallways were black and white. All the pictures were black and white. That picture was creepy, too. There's a picture of, like, a family with their faces cut out mm-hmm. on the wall. And then you see um, the the back of um, Anthony's younger or older sister. And that was also super creepy because you, you're looking in this room and there's all these beds that are lined up and it's very clearly where all the adults sleep. And he has like conjured these beds that look like children's beds, but large size with oversized yep. teddy bears on them. And uh, his sister's watching a cartoon. And his sister, Cherie Curie from The Runaways, from Joan Jett and The yep. Runaways. But but she ain't singing anything. She's not singing Ch-Ch-Ch-Cherry Bomb. Because her mouth has been replaced by like, it looks like Neo from The Matrix. I was thinking that too. When, uh, when he's uh, Hugo Weaving um, <laughs> yeah. how, melts how his How can you make a phone together. call if you can't speak? Or like that. Yeah. So... It, that was that was creepy, and that was a good practical effect. I liked that. Joe Dante is like the master of practical effects. He is. Um, I think his budget was showing a little bit in, yeah. with some of the later things in I this feel like one. Most of the budget for this segment went to build that house. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because he's like, I can get a diner anywhere, and I can get a crappy sob wherever. Yep. Um, so as they're coming back downstairs, because Anthony's like, I'm hungry now. It's time to eat. Um, when they when they were going up, they were watching this cartoon. Or um, Anthony's sister is watching this cartoon of uh, I don't think it was Mickey Mouse, but it was some small it was an animal. Old Charles Fleischer cartoon because this is um, back when I had to like do PA stuff. Mm-hmm. We had to go to a stock footage place in New York, and they had old Fleischer cartoons. And this is one that I actually had to pick up. Oh, cool! Because. Um, the bit on The Daily Show was John Stewart said, oh, I wonder what's going on in this politician's head. And then it cuts to the... To the, the doors being open. To the doors being Because it's like there's a big door being opened. Inside that's a smaller door. Inside that's a smaller door. And yep. this is what they're watching. Mm-hmm. And as um, as Anthony and uh, the lady are going downstairs, you can see those doors in the background. This episode was great for things like that. Like subtle hints of like Anthony seeing something and then making it a reality as he's just kind of like going about his business and other people aren't even noticing it. Really, really cool and well done. 
The lighting in this episode was really cool, yeah, too. Yeah, it was really good episode. Epi- well, that's what it felt like. It felt like an episode yeah, uh, in well, this segment. Well, that's what it's supposed to. Yeah. Um, and then he goes, I'm coming back down. And then he smells the cigarette smoke and looks at... Yeah, he Nancy. gives Nancy Carthright the stank eye. Yeah. Like, and then, like, the dinner that they, they serve is the grossest thing. It's it's like Buddy the Elf levels of nasty. It's a candied apple, it's fudge striped cookies, uh, potato chips, and then uh what well, the ice cream cups that I told you I hate. Yeah, I love the, those like type of Dixie cups. Oh, those are my favorite. Yeah, but the Dixie cups, these these are the ice creams that had they they were like hoodsies, but instead of hoodsies. having like half chocolate and half vanilla, it had like strawberry like sauce stra- stra- it would be either be strawberry or chocolate sauce down the sides and i i used to go to a daycare provider who she always have like that as a snack or cookies and i, I would be like i'm sick of do you have fruit <laughs> how about raisins anything i'm a growing boy as a um closeted chubby kid as a kid I would have loved eating a million of those. Like the first couple of months, I was, oh, like, yeah. I was like, "Yeah, this is great ice cream all the time." <laughs> but then, and then after like a while. month, month five, I was like, "Come on, no more!" And I'm not a big fruit person either. <laughs> like that speaking, I was like, <laughs> "We just got confirmation of that." So, um, so, so he, he like like I said, he gives like Nancy. Oh, but oh, but the the, 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 the capper on the meal. Is the the cheeseburger, which is a Pittsburgh delicacy, which is, I guess in Pittsburgh, they eat a burger with peanut butter on top, and then a slice of cheese, and then the burger, and then jelly on the bottom. That's disgusting. It's the grossest thing. That sounds thing. so nasty. I mean, they... uh, I only learned about it from the How Did This Get Made podcast when they did Airborne, and they eat it in the, the diner. And, oh, no, it's Cincinnati, not Pittsburgh. I'm sorry. It's a Cincinnati. Delicacy. Episode's over. Scott got something wrong. I... We're done. This has been the Writer's Bagel Basket. Stop Goodbye. undoing your chains. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like it's the grossest burger. And, and he goes, yeah, it tastes better, right, guys? And they're like, yeah, it tastes, like, yeah, it tastes awesome. It's awesome. And then like she takes a bite and she's like, I'll just stick to the potato chips. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is actually like another moment of like something's wrong here because she's like, how can you feed him this he, he's a boy he needs you know proper nutrition to be a growing boy and the kids like is that true guys and they're all like well yeah it technically is he's like what the hell why haven't you been feeding me properly like because he's been eating the things that he likes and they um don't want to question him because they don't want to be you know murdered yeah so then uh it is Nancy Cartwright destroyed here, or is it the no, magic trick? No, it's uh, first they do the well, because um, the woman hears on the the TV some something talking about a birthday, and on her way there, the kid had said, "Oh, it's my birthday today," and she was like, "Oh, this must just be a special birthday meal." And all all the other four of the other people are like, "Oh my God, it's your birthday again, Anthony, <laughs> with more presents and more tricks." And he's like, "Yeah, it's my birthday." Do a trick for me, Uncle Man. And so he does like a pull the rabbit out of the hat trick. That yeah, and the, oh, it's a cute bunny. You're like, because uh, Helen Foley, Kathleen Quinlan's starting mm-hmm. to catch on. She's like, oh, God, please be a rabbit in there. Well, please. yeah, because something, because he just materializes the hat out of nowhere. Like, it's one of those things where you see a shot of the TV, um, nothing's there, and they're like, oh, where's the hat, Anthony? And he's like, it's on the TV. And it cuts back, and there's a hat on the TV. So, like, this is like the first time you see something. 
actively magical besides the mouth being missing but that could just be messed up girl no he did that yeah, obviously he did that but we didn't know that yet yeah um so he does the rabbit trick and then it turns into like a gremlin style yeah like a, a the joe dante style because scary it made sense that this was like all cartoon characters because joe dante he made looney tunes back in action oh oh okay <laughs> which is actually a Looney Tunes movie I actually like. Be- is that the one with Brendan Fraser? Yeah. Okay, I've heard that one's pretty good. Because it erases all of the Space Jam nonsense. <laughs> like, oh, Space Jam's great. Space Jam's great because <laughs> we, we were movie. 10 when it came out. I know. But watching it again. Doesn't Lo- hold up. I'm aware. Also, so um, Joe Dante just brings that Looney Tunes style. And then the rabbit turns into this gremlin thing. Yeah, it's messed up. Kathleen Quinlan's like, make it go away. Make yeah, it go away. She starts freaking out. Well, they all, I think they all say, wish it away or something yeah. like that. Wish it back to the cornfield. That's what it does. Exactly. Like, that's that's a reference to the original yep. um, episode. So, that... <laughs> okay, so this is something that I know when I watched it when I was younger. It was incredibly scary. That effect did not necessarily right. hold up nowadays. None of the stuff... And, and the big thing, I think, was because it was just a static thing it wasn't moving it was just clearly like they built a model and they stuck it in a hat and they were like we'll shoot that and that's it like it didn't yeah they added the sound effects later yep and then um uh ethel our edith finally stands up to him and he puts her into the cartoon yeah nancy carthright this is that's the thing i was talking about earlier when like she says something and he gets mad at her and she like shows no emotion because she knows she's going to be killed when I think you'd be scared. Kind of. I guess I'm, she's sick of it at this I, point. I think she just wants the sweet release of death. Yeah. Um, and then the cartoon looks nothing like the other cartoons, and I'm pretty sure... Because well, like, it was definitely made for the... Yeah, I think like Robert Crumb or like Ralph Bakshi or someone did the animation for this, because it looked like that style. It's possible. Oh, we um, forgot to, to mention that before that, what had happened was, after the hat trick... Um, What's the main lady's name? The actress? or yeah, the, Either or. Kathleen Quinlan. Ka- Kathleen Kim- Quinlan. She tries to leave. and um, Oh, it's she, his eye. There, there's a, she opens up the door and there's this like giant eye in the way. And so she can't figure it out, like why she's not being able to leave. And her purse spills and Anthony looks in it and he finds a message written from someone What's that says, help? Anthony is a monster, help us. And he like loses it. And like he's like, who who did this? Which one of you did this? And they all point to Nancy Carthright, and that's why she's the one yep. who's who gets killed. Who gets killed? And then the TV explodes, and I thought it was originally the Tasmanian Devil, but it was just some. It's like a gremlin style looking thing. It's very Joe Dante esque. It is, and, and once again, this is where like the budget is showing because the while the practical effects are relatively impressive. You can tell that they're just like a model that they built for a single shot, and they almost look like animatronics from like a Walt Disney ride or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, they looked cool, and there was a couple of them that were moving kind of neatly. There was like blowing steam or something like that, and there was one where it's like eyes were bugging out like a cartoon. It, it looked like a live action cartoon. It just didn't move convincingly for me. And then. But it was uh, still awesome. Don't they, get me wrong. It was a lot of fun. Then Kathleen Quinlan finally stands up to him. Yes. And. She, he wishes everyone away except for her, which means they went back to their homes. What happened to his crippled sister? Right? Uh, right? Yeah, you got me. 
Um, so then my favorite part of this entire segment is the dual uh, layering of the editing. Yes. Where they filmed it, they clearly filmed it twice and then they layered it over. And it, it was a really hypnotic effect. Like the the two like actors were like walking around each other, but you had like these ghost images of themselves doing it, and it was surreal. Walking and, around each other, not doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Redo of of doing the walking. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yes, not a child and Kathleen Kathleen Quinlan, but it was really, really just trippy and effectively Twilight Zony. Right. It was great. And then you find out that she's going to help him control his stuff and basically become his mom. Yeah, exactly. She like volu- she's a, she more or less volunteers to like help him learn how to use his power. Yeah. And um, it ends with them leaving the house and all this desert land is turned into beautiful flowers. Yeah, flowers are starting to like, like spring up and everything. So, I mean, it, this segment felt like a Twilight Zone episode to yep. me. And that's why I think it's so successful. Because it's like a slow descent into madness and then there's like a turn where everything is like messed up and then there is a semi-positive resolution at the end, but not really because, I mean, who knows what happened to all those other people. They're probably and dead. I they're, would not be surprised. They're totally dead. And, and um, Kathleen Quinley's uh, character is like more or less still enslaved to this child. So yeah. it's... And... Yeah. The, this one had the best transition in the beginning because it transitioned from Sunnyvale going down the street and like followed mm-hmm. a car into this. Yes. But then the transition to the next segment was not very good. Yeah, it was just like from the... I don't even remember it. It, it was, was from the sky to the sky. But the sky to the sky, but it was like sky to like nighttime. Yeah. And then like the bad model of a plane appeared. Right. Um, so how many bagels are in this one? Oh, this one, um, I'm going to give it 10. Um, the practical effects, uh, kind of took a little bit out for me. I'm sure back when it originally came out, it was really good though. Um, I'm assuming it had to be, it was 83. Yes. It had to be amazing. It was probably fantastic. And a, a lot of the, like I said, the subtle effects of like the kid seeing something, the kid wanting that to happen, uh, and it, and it happening like off screen or happening like um in the background was great um the slow immersion into this just unsettling world if i didn't know what was going to happen uh it would have been like really fun being like oh what's what is going on here and it was all logical it all made sense 10 only three for the practical effects and just it's some bad child acting there was a couple of like hiccups in that um this one was great yeah, uh, same for me, 10. 10 out of, 10 out of 13. Um, for all the same reasons you said. So let's get into the, this one. Is Here great. we go. They betted so much on this one that this was also the movie poster that they used. It is through a window of an airplane. Of the airplane, yeah. It's it's clearly the most. And see, this, this was the longest one, too. Oh, was it? Yeah. See, it didn't feel like the longest one. The first one felt like the longest because it was so boring and just. But that one's what's the going shortest. On. But it felt like it was a I slog. Know, I know. Okay, so that's actually awesome that this one's because the longest. You pointed out something with this one. This is the only one. This one is Nightmare at uh, 20,000 20, feet. feet. Because they do character development, that's why this one 
flows it, so well. It does. Like, they actually take time to develop Lithgow. John Lithgow is the main character in this one. And they actually develop him having, like, personality traits and having, like, you know, you care about him. And, you, oh, uh, before we get into this, who would you cast in... Oh, okay. That's a good question. Um, I would cast the child who plays... Um, I'm going to go with Dustin from um, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. I don't remember his name. Uh, uh, it's something weird. Dustin uh, Marigarzo? Marigarzo? Yeah, Maserato or something like yeah. that. But G- Gaten is his name. Gaten. Gaten Maserato. I'm gonna pl- I would cast him. It's the Demogorgon. Exactly. I would cast him as the, as the kid. And for, I assume, the, the woman is yeah. the other person we would cast. I would cast hmm no not amelia clark i would cast like um how old sophie turner at this point no she's like too too young she i mean you could i mean but she's 19 or 20 she's yeah, the same age young. as Maisie williams that's too young mm. do you need a minute yeah i need a minute i no. would cast I would do a room reunion and cast uh, Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay. Okay, I got mine. That that that's a good one. I would cast uh, Gaten Maserato and Allison Brie. I love Allison Brie. Yeah, Allison Brie's great. She would be perfect too. Like she yep. she has that same. But I feel like Brie Larson and Jacob Tremblay they have this great chemistry, and he's such a good child actor. Um. So yeah, on to Nightmare Twenty Thousand yes. Feet. Perfect casting. Like, with Lithgow, Lithgow 100%. Is, and, like, we have talked about John Lithgow on this podcast before. Like, I would love to just dedicate an entire month to John Lithgow because <laughs> he's so good. I mean, do Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, Third Rock. Third Rock. Uh, World According to Garp, where he plays a transgendered. Well, like, he really got mm-hmm. he really got that conversation going. Um, he also got nominated for an Oscar for it. Like, he's just such a good actor. Buck Rubanzai. Love Buckley. Oh, yeah, that one's fun. That's one of my favorite movies. Um, so him and this, this has to be either right after or right before Harry and the Hendersons. I, I think this think was... I think it's right before. I think this was right after World According to Garp. Possibly? Let me so, check. But I feel like he's the other person that like they tent-pulled this movie with. Like They got Dan Aykroyd and... And Albert Brooks, and they're like, yes, and our big star is John Lithgow. Oh, definitely. Because he's so good. And the way they started, because as we said before, Burgess Meredith is doing the narration for all of these. The way they started is unlike how they started the actual episode with Shatner. Shatner's already in his seat in that Yeah. Episode. He's in the bathroom, which like is... freaking out. Which is genius. And the the details in the scene, like... The door is locked. the The um, toilet seat is down, and the actual um, drain is locked too, mm-hmm. filled with water. Saying basically, that's saying like no escape. Yeah, there's I can no see way that, yeah. out. And he's just so. This is like the best like body acting I've seen ever. Like he's just his his fear. Like he's brilliant. He does it again in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. He plays James Franco's dad. Oh, okay. And he does a scene that's heartbreaking using nothing but, like, 
facial movements. He's a master at it. Yeah, Lithgow's fantastic. Oh, we didn't even say who directed this one. George Miller. This one's George Miller, exactly. That's what I was I was just about to bring that up. Okay. Like because you can tell that Miller knows his way around just this craft so beautifully. And so he's like you can tell that he's the one who really pushed for this claustrophobic feeling, which is just a perfect way to start off a story about being trapped on an airplane like you need to like establish that yeah there's no way out you are stuck up here this, this has to be probably his fourth or fifth movie george miller's directing. i wouldn't be surprised and i think this might be like his this first. is definitely after mad max this is after road warrior also yep um but he's just a master at like creating tone i'm not sure if this was after or before witches of eastwick uh, this is, this is his third movie. He had third. Mad Max, Chain Reaction, which he didn't even direct. He just directed a car. This is his third, yeah. Mad Max, Mad Max 2, Twilight Zone, and then Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and then Witches of Eastwick. And then Babe? And then Lorenzo's Oil. Oh, Lorenzo's Oil. 40,000 Years of Dreaming, and then Babe was in 1998. Um, so, yeah, he... he oh, just, sorry, Babe was 95, but he didn't direct that first one. He wrote it and he produced it. Yes. Good enough. <laughs> um, so what he did with this entire cast, I think that the stewardess in this, the older one, was the wife in the original. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, but I know Donna Dixon, Dan Aykroyd. That's right, because he had a wife in the original one, yep. didn't he? And they didn't bring back that uh, no, character for this one. Because, I mean, that speaks volumes about the character in this one. Like, he's this, you know, shut-in type of claustrophobic agoraphobic person and he wouldn't have a wife oh yeah definitely not and did you see snl when jude law hosted a few years back they did this they did this and the um gremlin on the wing and plane was bobby moynihan he (laughs) kept doing stuff he wasn't trying to destroy the plane he was like maybe i did see that yeah, because Jude Law's freaking out, and he's like, oh my god, he's on the wing of the plane, and he's riding an elliptical machine, <laughs> and then he would be riding it, and then he would jump and go, <laughs> and he's like, oh my god, he's making Chilean sea bass, oh my god, he's on the wing of the plane, with Pearl Jam, and then Pearl Jam. <laughs> was, was it, I assume yeah. that was the musical guest that night. Yeah, yeah, it was. That's too funny. And, yeah, so that captured, like, the original tone of, the original episode I never really liked. I always uh, thought it was ridiculous. Okay, I see. I I really enjoyed this one, and it it screams to me classic Twilight Zone. Yeah, it does to me too. Like, I would this always is watch it. Five Twilight yeah, Zone. Yeah, that's why because I just felt like this one was the closest to the original series, but mm-hmm. it's still. I think I didn't like it because of Shatner. I just felt that's fair. Like the reason why I like this so much now is because Lithgow is such a better actor. This one 100% is better than the original um, sh- uh, episode. I agree with that. And, uh, oh, I pointed out to you, Dan Acro's wife, Donna Dixon. Yep. Who, this she, was, she plays the junior flight attendant. Who This was when she was doing Bosom Buddies. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. Um, they get him back to his seat, yep. and he's freaking out. He's freaking out hardcore, man. Oh yeah, yeah. He um he, he clearly doesn't like flying, and he's he still doesn't have a reason to be. He's just like more or less just afraid of flying. Which is there's a moment where I'm watching it, and I'm like, why don't you just take like a bus or a, a, a train or something? I'm assuming he has to be somewhere important right. very quickly. So 
Is this is that when they show the, his book? Mm-hmm. So like they establish more about his character. They establish that he's a very smart person, and they establish that he's written a book on like computer mathematics or computer programming or something like that. And he's you know just a, a bundle of nerves, and he's trying to calm himself down. And he convinces the flight attendant, "No, I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Just don't worry about it." He looks out the window, and this was like this was the most effective shot of the movie to me because. You look out and they're flying through clouds and everything's all smoky and like dimly lit. You can barely see anything out there and you just see something slither over the wing. You see the tail. Yeah. And it's just, what is going on? And that tail is so thick and freaky. It's gross. It it looks like a whip. Yeah. It looks like a giant whip. And then um, he's freaking out. They're trying to calm him down and then... You just hear a click and a giant flash, and it's a little girl with a camera, and she's like, that'll be 10 bucks. Yeah, she's like taking pictures of him with Polaroids or something like that, and the guy's like, stop it. Because <laughs> the, the guy who's sitting next to her is this gross, rotund man who turns yeah. out to be the air marshal, and um, they get her to sit next to her mom, who is clearly conked out. Like She yep. took like a bunch of sedatives, and she's like... Apparently that's just a thing people did in the 80s on airplanes is they just like drugged themselves up before they would do that because the flight attendant offers him a sedative. A sedative. Um, I, I took a flight with a friend who, this was in eighth grade for our trip to Washington, mm-hmm. and she's like, don't tell anyone, I'm going to pretend to be asleep, but I brought on a horse tranquilizer. <laughs> Okay. So, she was. She so, must have like not been awake by the time you guys landed because it's not that long to DC from. Where no, we are. it wasn't. I talked her out of it. I'm like, oh, you okay. shouldn't because this is only like a two hour flight. <laughs> but but she's like, I can't fly, and I was like, Lady, you'll be fine. <laughs> wow, that's intense. Yeah. She would have killed herself. <laughs> Eighth grade yeah. horse tranquilizer. Yeah, not would have ended well. <laughs> which which I thought was funny because. I didn't know that that was a thing. That was the second time I ever heard it because before then we took a trip to a family trip to the Bahamas when I was in sixth grade, mm-hmm. and a family friend was on the the airplane just going to Florida, and we hit turbulence, and she took a horse tranquilizer to knock herself out, and she had her husband get a wheelchair to wheel her because <laughs> she well, knew that's it wouldn't thing. be there in time. That's too funny. So oh my god! I guess sedatives are a thing. I'm not overly shocked. Yeah. Um, but it's just like funny how prevalent it was and just so anyways so the the john lithgow is trying to calm down so he lights up a cigarette and then he turns back to that little girl and that little girl has just a ventriloquist doll and she's it, like the pilot said not to smoke out here it's a wc fields it's wc it's, fields as a ventriloquist it's just so weird it's like where did you get this <laughs> yeah john lithgow see yeah, yeah, yeah. get out of here um but also oh the God. the air marshal looks up at him, and this guy they should have just called him like Jabba the curmudgeon, because like, <laughs> he was so gross and he was just so angry looking in every frame. So he starts freaking out, tries to get some sleep, but he can't, because he notices something on the wing of the plane, and it yep. Not, and this time he actually sees the gremlin. And it's ripping stuff out, and it's get, it gets struck by lightning. Yep. I, it feels like it pulled a Thor where it like just lifted it. It was like, come to me. Yeah. Like, it just did the power line, like, one hand there, <laughs> like, zoom. 
and he goes, there's something on the wing of the plane, and he screams, and everyone yep, looks. That's the classic freak-out line. There's something on the wing. And then everyone just, like, runs over there, and the gremlin crawls underneath the wing, and no one sees it. Yeah, except for that old lady who's like, I saw it. It was green and scaly looking, and the husband's like, no, you didn't. Shut like, up, you dumb broad. And, and she's like, shh, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> um, And then they're like, please take the train. Yeah, and he does. At which, like, so here's the thing about this one that's kind of cool is it almost plays with the, is he crazy? Is he not? Because they've set up that he's like a genius. And so like, maybe he's something like mentally unhinged. And so after he takes the tranquilizer, it's like, well, maybe he's not even remembering any of this type of stuff. He's like hallucinating it. Yeah. Like how did it not work? If it's a, if it's a sedative, that thing's going to work. Yeah, exactly. That's going to knock him out cold. It really should have. But so he takes a sedative. He starts to try to go to sleep. The uh, stewardess has closed his windows. He can't see anything out of him. He's um, trying to go to sleep, trying to go to sleep. I don't know if he hears something or if he just it's like... It's another thunderstrike. Oh, okay. He hears another thunderstrike. His eyes shoot open. He turns to look at the camera or turns to look at the uh, window, opens it up, and it's straight from the original episode, the shot where the, cre- the gremlin's face is just plastered on the window and like he freaks out. Um, I told you who played the gremlin. Yeah, this was interesting. The gremlin was Larry uh, Cedar. Who who is he, Dwight? Uh, he played Pierce Hawthorne's father on Community. He also was on Deadwood. If you watch Deadwood, he was one of the um, uh, town religious men. Ah, with like the we had like the porcelain hair and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, he had uh, like this long like. He, he's a ginger. He has red hair. Oh. So he had like this long, like red mane. And uh, yeah. Well, that'll do it. So yeah. It's just amazing finding out the people who are in We're on cause. all these things. Because Jean-Claude Van Damme almost played Predator. Well, that I knew. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Lithgow freaks out and they're like, there's nothing there. Now, calm calm down. down. Come on. <laughs> um... So they get the captain, the, the the pilot is like, I gotta fly this plane, like deal well, with he, it. It wasn't the wasn't the captain because it was the guy who was talking to him. I think he said he was the second in command oh, the or co-pilot. something. Like the co- he was something like that. But he was anyways, like, deal with it. I gotta fly a plane. Yeah, we have a bunch of people here. You're freaking them all out. Chill out, please. And he's like, I'll be fine. <laughs> I swear. See, I'm okay. <laughs> And then, so the guy leaves him, right? And then he they, starts seeing the gremlin just start ripping out more yeah, things. Yeah, it's ripping like out that. more things. So then he sees an oxygen tank. Yep. And he bashes the window open. Oh, wait, no. No, he getting... doesn't. He try, He starts to try to it. And then everyone like starts freaking out. And then the air marshal grabs him. Yep. And then he grabs the gun off the air marshal, yep. shoots the window, and then he gets sucked out. Yeah, because of... I, okay, I'm pretty sure that this is a myth about the explosive decompression and how that actually works. I might be wrong. But I, from what I understand, explosive decompression does not work that way. Like, it won't rip you out unless, like, the actual side of the uh, window or the actual side of the plane has been gone. But... Regardless, so he gets his upper body sucked out of the window. Also, back then and still now, mm-hmm. those windows are bulletproof. Like, yeah, that's 
it's a movie, but yeah, like the, those, they don't want that type of accidental stuff going off. Yep. But so his upper body is hanging outside of the window while this plane is drive going driving. This plane is going eight hundred miles an hour in the air, but he's fine. Uh, the gremlin, he so he has the gun and he's like aiming at the gremlin once again, trying to shoot him. That wouldn't work. Um, the gremlin like approaches him, like laughs in his face, grabs the gun, and like flies away. Well, right? The, well, because uh, the gremlin sees that they're about to land. Yeah. But he also, I feel like this is like a smart gremlin because he knows, like, if I scratch him, they'll know I'm real. Yep. So, because he's about to palm him, he palms him, and he's about to scratch, and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to let you go crazy. And then he flies away. He flies away. away, which is a little weird, but, I mean, how else would the gremlin have gotten there on the, in the first place? It's a magical creature magic and then the plane lands he's in a straitjacket and he's like you all think i'm crazy but i saved everyone's life i'm a hero but it turns out that he actually did because as they're carting him away um a ground crew arrives and they start going over like the the plane because obviously it's been irrevocably damaged for right. the time being because the window's been blown out. But they start looking at like the engines and stuff like that, and they see these giant gouges. Yeah, and, and the guy's like, sweet be, Jesus Christ. What is going on here? Everything's been like torn up from the floor and up, and like it's just messed up. We also have one of my favorite lines from the air marshal. He's like, huh, it's it's the claustrophobia. They'd rather stay out in, on the wing of the plane and fly out than stay in here. And the stewardess is like, is that a real thing? He's like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure, why not? And the stewardess was nice because she was like, he seemed normal to me. Like, she was like get, going to bat for him. She was like, he was fine. Something probably really happened, more or less. Yeah. I, I assume is what she was saying. So, what I'm wondering, um, so that's the end of the segment. And then they go into an epilogue with John Lithgow and then the ambulance driver, yep. who is Dan Aykroyd. And he goes, hey, yeah, a little uh, scare, scare up, up there, there huh? Want to see something really scary? And Lithgow's like, <gasps> And then the Twilight Zone theme plays, and oh. then they have Rod Serling's um, monologue from the very first uh, season credits. What, what would have happened if he's like, no? Okay. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Sure. Why not? And um, like they go to another movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm wondering if they, as they're carting him away, and they see all of this destruction, they just call that ambulance. They're like, he's not crazy. Let him go. <laughs> and then, but Dan Aykroyd, I assume, is already transformed and murdered by them. He's like, oh, oh so, sorry. Let me get these bones out of my teeth. Um, what? Oh, no, nah, he died. He's gone. Sorry. Uh, well, no, there were other people in the actual ambulance with him, too. Yeah, well, I assume he murdered them all as well. Yeah, probably. That would be my assumption. So what would you give this one? Uh, uh, 13 out of 13. This one's uh, a great, especially in, in, if I'm comparing it to the others, this one is easily the best. Um, so yes, nothing's removed from this one. The acting is perfect. The direction is perfect. The effects are great. These are the best effects out of any of them. They, they all look well done. Um, Gremlins, significantly scary. Um, this one, it, the writing is just really good. It's too. super tight because, and, and you're saying it's the longest one. It did not feel long at all. So that's per like that. That's a testament to this segment. Uh, this one, it was amazing. Yeah, um, so that's the end of Twilight Zone month. Up, oh, sounds like a John Lithgow's getting taken away. Dun dun dun. <laughs> we did not add in sound <laughs> effects. There's actually an ambulance outside the uh, the house here. Um. So that's the end of Twilight Zone month. 
and I th- I thought it was great. I mean, yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed Twilight Zone. So, a little fun fact about this for the Twilight Zone: um, John Lithgow was the man in this one, and Shatner was the guy in the other one. Mm-hmm. And they were both on Third Rock from the Sun, and they have a great line where Shatner plays the big giant head, and he shows up. He's like. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, but that flight, I saw something on the wing of the plane. And Lithgow goes, me too! <laughs> so, yeah, then it's just a little... I mean, the more I watch stuff, like regular TV, I see, like, a ton of influence of Twilight Zone. Uh, Twilight Zone, 100%. It's, like, everywhere. Like, most of the Simpsons Halloween specials are Twilight, Twilight Zone episodes. Zone. Like, yep, episodes. there is one where Bart has the power to wish stuff. Yep. There's um, Nightmare, I think it's called Nightmare, like 12 feet or something it's like night, that. Or... Night, uh, terror at 37 feet. That's what it is. Yeah, and because the length of a bus, and it's yep. a bus, it's a gremlins on the side of the bus type of deal. There's a lot of them like that. There's the one where Lisa becomes the, um, she gets shrunk down to the size of a pea or something like that. And yeah, she, because like... the tooth. Yep. Yep. That's a good one. So, <sighs> so uh, we're going from Twilight Zone to what next? Uh, next month is going to be anime month. And we're going to start you guys off slow. Yep. We're going to do some uh, Avatar. So if you've never seen Nickelodeon's Avatar, if you have Amazon Prime, it's all free there. You yep. can watch all of them for free. I'm actually looking at, uh, we, we uh, Haley and I, have the entire series. I have it as well. I don't have it in a box set. I have it in the three seasons. Nice. Um, so... You can watch that. We will be doing... Well, what's the title of it? Uh, the Play, I think is what it's called. Yeah. I think it's called The Play. Yes. It's called The Play. Um, I love Avatar. Dwight, I know you do too. Avatar is really good. Um, it's a very fun show. I, for a, Yeah, it's great. We'll, it, we'll talk about it next week. Yeah. I mean, it, as we said, it's a palate cleanser. If you're not big on anime, it will be a nice, you know... To get you in. Ease you into it, yeah. Because Nickelodeon actually does some pretty good... I I wouldn't even... I'll talk about this week. I wouldn't even technically consider Avatar anime. It's more anime-influenced. Yes. But um, So that's why it's a good reason. I would say that we're covering started. Asian culture. Sure. That sounds yeah. perfect. So until next time, I'm Scott Cohen. I'm Dwight Stearns. Smell you later. Bye. Bye.